All right, everyone. Hey, welcome to the Granite Mountain Movie Club. Uh, I am Granite, and today we're going to be talking about uh, David Fincher's 2007 Zodiac, about the you know about the Zodiac killer and the people who were obsessed with him. Um, now, the film Zodiac is kind of an ensemble movie. You've got you've got one 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 or two leads, but then kind of four leads, and then a bunch of other well-known character actors and and guys. It's like they pop on screen for maybe 10 minutes or something and, and you're really happy they're there. So we're going to kind of do like an ensemble thing today. I've never had this many guests. There's five of us in total, um, but it's a really good crew. You probably already know all these guys. We've got Glenn Rockney, who's who's kind of a, he's kind of a, a local to the area where all this Zodiac, Zodiac stuff happens. So Glenn, I'll let you say hi. Hello. Yeah, I I survived the Zodiac killer. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, I'll, I'll be happy to tell my story throughout the program. Yeah, do you know you might know who it is? I, apparently everyone in Northern California has a theory. Yeah, I don't know. I people I st- I still love that it's not solved. Like I I think it's I I there was a guy who wrote the uh he was on Brady Stanellis and he and he was he wrote like the this kind of kind of autistic like zodiac book uh and he's like he's like yeah, I don't want to know who it is. He's like the coolest thing is just like having severe autism and like just taking you know getting every new detail that someone else doesn't have but you don't really want it to lead anything so it's kind of how the movie is that's why the movie's so good i think yeah and i think that's partly why it's why it endures is because there's so many loose ends there's so much so much stuff to speculate with um and then we got a first time guest we got george Dahl. um if you're on twitter you, you maybe seen george he's got a good youtube channel um george you know, much more so than myself. He's a real like student of film. He, he understands film history and he, he's actually, you know, watched a lot of movies that are older than 30 years old, unlike me. So, uh, George, welcome. Happy to be on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and then, the, you know, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, Zodiac stuff. Uh, there's quite a bit of film history uh, related to Zodiac. So we'll, we'll hopefully, uh, Hopefully you know about some of that stuff and can jump into it. A lot of it. exploitative movies that were trying to cash in on the Zodiac craze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can call it that. And then we've got, uh, you know, we've got Cool Frazier here, of course. Yes, I'm cool and I'm listening. And I'm also here because I'm an expert on uh, linguistic ciphers and Elias Cotius. Yeah, I mean, you know, people might not know this, but uh, but I think, uh, I think Cool Frazier, if he had been there at the San Francisco Chronicle... When those letters started coming in, things wouldn't have gone the way they did. Mm-hmm. Definitely, he would have he would have cracked those things pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I would have rushed the the cockpit, so to speak. You, I mean, you, you know, I I was joking about you being like a cipher hacker guy, but but you kind of are. Like you could you could probably be pretty good at that. Probably, yeah. I I I'm I have a background in it with my Fraser knowledge. Um, also the fans were asking for a Halloween spooky episode and this is it. So get ready for a spooky night guys. Yeah, this is, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a horror aficionado or anything. So this is kind of, this is kind of where we're, this is kind of the, the, the road I go down if I'm looking for like scary or something. So, and then, uh, last but not least, uh, we've got degree studies here and, um, he's going to be like our resident, you know, deviant pervert guy who can really tap into the mind of the zodiac killer yeah that's okay 
I didn't know that was my qualification, but yeah, I didn't want to tell you that in advance. But yeah. you didn't get okay, the brief. You didn't enough. get the briefing. I got it. Uh, that that, that was your job. That was your. Yeah, what say. was the magazine in Arthur Lee Allen's trailer? Sixty nine. Uh, yeah, I did kind of think that trailer looked cozy. So I guess I guess you're you're basically right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so so Fincher's got a new one coming out, and I didn't when we planned this, I didn't realize it, but it, I think it's coming out like tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so when this when this airs, the killer will be out, uh, in you know in a few theaters, and then it'll hit Netflix a few weeks later. Um, so you know it's always kind of an event when Fincher has a new movie, but perfect time to to look back on Zodiac. And do you guys know anything about the killer, by the way? I'm like I've seen the trailer, but the trailer doesn't really seem to give anything. No. Just like a guy going around being like a. I read the the Wikipedia. It sounds like it's the sort of classic like uh, assassin for whatever reason has beef with his employers and is going after them. Well, yeah, and and he has like a. It's kind of one of those. Uh, do I even want to do this anymore, man? Like one of those. Uh, 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 I've been doing this for so long. It's not the best path to be on, and it kind of just the, the the killer becomes self aware in a sense. You know, he's not a killing so machine anymore. Fincher's allegory for his own career, then, because this <laughs> movie is very. I mean, I'm not trying to say that in a pejorative way, but I mean, this movie, if you listen to the audio commentary, seems like super personal to him. At one it was point, his passion project, was, right? Yeah, it was his passion. Project. Yeah, he describes the Zodiac as being in process, which I imagine is some sort of like Hollywood creative jargon. Right. So he looks at him almost as like an artist. I imagine there's a little bit of um, sentimentality there. Yeah. I mean, Fincher was a local. He was a kid when some of this stuff was happening. So he, he was aware of it um, in the media. And but beyond that, you know, this is, you know, my my kind of big take on the movie is that it and this is not an original thought, really, but it's a movie about obsession. Um, and it's not. You know, what I, what I, something I really like about it is it's not so much about the Zodiac killer himself. I mean, it is, but it's more about just Robert Graysmith, who is a cartoonist turned Zodiac obsessive, um, you know, Paul Avery and a journalist, and then some of the cops and stuff. And it's really about the obsessive nature of these kinds of people and how they pursue things, especially Graysmith, who's, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And and Fincher himself is like he's an obsessive. If you hear about how how they work on these movies, it's uh, pretty intense and pretty exhausting for like everyone involved. Yeah, um, it's a movie. Also, I think about failure, like just <laughs> straight up just failing. And I, but as men, you know, at least how it used to be, and I think it's it, it, that's dwindling this the, as it goes on. But there's like a Sisyphean kind of complex to it, where it's like, especially as for the viewer, you you know anything about the story it's one of the most famous stories out there you know they don't catch him so the whole time you're watching a guy for two hours and 40 minutes kind of kind of fail you know like and there's little breakthroughs just like when you know Sisyphus is rolling the rock up the mountain but it's like you know you know how it how it ends so I think it's uh, a really kind of in-depth look at just men failing but that's not to be bad like it's not a bad thing like you you know a lot of times that drive and work ethic leads to success you know like not maybe not more often than not but enough times yeah and i think the movie does an interesting job of you know this obsession is normally you know like graysmith loses his 
when the movie starts, he's already once divorced and then he, he has the good fortune to get married again in the midst of his obsession and he loses his second wife too, to the obsession, like very, like that's plainly stated in the movie. Um, so, so he loses his family, but a lot of movies would kind of just stop there, but there's also like a fruit to his obsession. Like he, he ends up making like a career out of it. Um, that's, of course it's like, what's, is the trade off worth it? But, um, yeah, it's, it's not like, it's not just saying to be obsessed is just bad. And, and also like, if you look through history, people who accomplish anything are usually kind of crazy and obsessed. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, I was just going to say real quick that when I see a filmmaker tackle the subject of someone who's obsessed and it harms their family life, I just assume that it's autobiographical, right? Like, I, I think we saw that in Interstellar with Nolan or in Phantom Thread with Paul Thomas Anderson. So yeah. I have to think that the same thing kind of applies here. Right. And there's always like writers and artists as characters in in those types of films. But I was going to say um, regarding like the, the failure point, I think also just as like a genre film of like, you know, a crime mystery, you know, um, it, it's also dissatisfying to the audience because yeah, you're watching it and you're like hoping that the cool knowledgeable cop or journalist is going to solve it. But like, they don't and and it's not satisfying so just like as a genre piece it it doesn't like it 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 looks like a traditional crime drama but then it's kind of subverting it in that sense yeah oh totally um so i wanted to just get an idea i mean so yeah my my kind of big take is that's on it's about obsession and i think the failure theme is a good one too um but I'm just wondering wh- where, how do you guys, I guess, how do you guys feel about this movie? And I'll, I'll go first and just say, like, get it up right out there and f- up front. And I already tweeted about this. So people probably saw this, but to me, it's a 10 out of 10. It's one of the most well-made movies that I've ever seen. And I've gone back to it many, many times. Um, it's, you know, it, it, I guess it could be more entertaining in certain ways, but it's essentially perfect to me. I mean, I find it very entertaining, but I could see how uh, a lot of people wouldn't, but um, yeah, I just love it. I think it's, it's, uh, fantastic. You know, Robert Downey Jr. recently said, you know, when he did Oppenheimer, he's like, this is the best movie I've ever been in. I don't know. Maybe part of that was marketing. Part of that was probably he'd been stuck in the Marvel universe for like 15 yeah. years or something. But, but I, I, I wonder, like, did he forget about Zodiac? Cause I think Zodiac's a better movie than Oppenheimer. I mean, I like, I liked Oppenheimer, but I mean, I think the best movie Robert Downey Jr. has been in is this one. Was this yeah. his, his like Hollywood comeback yeah, film? It was part of that comeback series. He, but, but no, I don't think it was quite that. George, you might know better. Kind, than of, I would, kind of pre-narrative of that. I was thinking about that a little bit too, because his big comeback story in like Entertainment Weekly would have been Tropic Thunder and Iron Man in 2008, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, back wasn't Iron Man who was still like not insurable or something like that? They paid um, the other guy, Terrence Howard, like three times as much as they paid Downey for that movie. Damn. Wow. So it was still definitely on a comeback. So this is kind of like uh, outside the narrative of the Downey comeback, but um, it's a good choice. Granite, you know, I was listening to that blank check podcast I told you about, and they're yeah. doing they're doing Fincher right now. And in their 
uh, episode on Zodiac, they related an anecdote where someone was asking Mark Ruffalo, uh, do you find it annoying that Fincher does so many takes? And he said something like, the first couple weeks it was really bothering me, but then I realized he was, with this film, he was taking a shot at immortality. And so I, I think, like, the way I interpret that is that at least some of the people on set had a sense that it was, like, a really special movie. And even within the world of, you know, Fincher's insane fastidiousness, this was something he was taking, like, extra special care with. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Do you think, uh, do you think he... Do you think he sticks the landing? Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's an excellent movie. Like one thing I rewatched it yesterday in, in preparation for this podcast. And I, I remember one, I remember feeling this way the first time I saw it, but like, I forget how long it is. It's like, is it two hours and 40 minutes? Something mm-hmm. like that. Two, I just know this cause I just looked it up, but two forty two for the director's cut two thirty seven for theatrical. Okay, yeah, because I think one of the most impressive things you can do, not that movies are like just entertaining, but for me, this movie always blazes by. And like, I think one of the reasons it blazes by is it's like, it's a really high intensity procedural. And like, even a lot of movies that are like good procedurals that are like 90 minutes, they can only spend like 40 minutes doing sort of the nuts and bolts of the investigation. I think because that stuff is like hard to write and it requires there to be lots of different characters, lots of different locations. And so like, I feel like, no, maybe I could think of counter examples, but I can't think of another movie where anyone's even attempted sort of something of this scale that like moves at this speed consistently throughout. So yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's really a, a fantastic movie. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear from the, from the rest of you, just kind of where if you, I, you don't have to do like a number letter score, although you're welcome to do that, but just what you guys kind of think overall, just your, your, your take on the, on the, how much you like it, the quality of it. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely terrific. I remember seeing it when it came out and I was in high school, probably, probably around my senior year, junior, senior year. And, you know, at that time you're kind of, you kind of want more things happening in movies you want especially the way the movie starts right i mean the 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 original you know murder scenes and stuff are just so graphic and chilling and then the rest of the movie is is very procedural right so as a you know as a younger i i liked it a lot because it looked really cool i loved the soundtrack i mean that's kind of like my era of music right there as far as uh what i like to listen to a lot so that was that was really cool but watching it recently again i have not seen it since um or had not seen it since um and then i watched it again and i just really had a a newfound love for it i mean obviously just the 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 san francisco stuff because i you know i i i'm a bay area guy so just seeing san francisco shot well which nobody's done in a long time by the way like seeing san francisco shot well and actually capturing how cool it used to look and at times currently still looks despite what people show you on the internet uh that part really stuck out to me and the performances were great i mean the the uh just the attention to detail in the in the you know costume design and stuff like that was just 
was, it, was, it was real it was a real delight and it just it's um it's paced perfectly and you just I, it's nice to see a craftsman at work man that's really what it is it's just you, every i feel like a lot of movies now are solid solid and forgettable you know like like i i whereas in the past it was like it was either trash or amazing or just kind of good there were a lot of like range of outcomes that were great but this this movie aged well because of the true crime stuff that that came in after i mean it was ahead of its time in a sense that the 2010s were all about true crime documentaries so i think now it's got a rebirth um, yeah and i it even hits a little harder for me i i enjoy it more yeah i'm i'm gonna cool fraser where where would you say this stands against some of the other so this was a 2007 movie it was initially supposed to be 2006, but I can't remember. There was some studio issues or something. But um, where does this stand among the uh, the 2007s? There was, it was kind of this famously good year, the last really truly great year I think we've had. Yeah, yeah, and you know I'm a, a 2006 apologist, but um, but I agree. Yeah, X Men Three. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, I I don't know because this is hard. This is a bad question for me because 2007 is when I was in South America, so I missed a lot of films, and so this is another one that I watched for the first time uh, a couple weeks ago in preparation for this podcast, just because I had missed it, and so um, I do think it's really well done. Uh, it's it delivers what you want from this type of movie almost perfectly, right? Um, but I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd call it a perfect movie, but I think it, it, there's certain scenes in it that probably are perfect, which is, is an achievement in my opinion. Um, so 2007, we got, you know, no country for old men, there will be blood, Eastern promise, 310 to Yuma, uh, Jesse James, assassination, assassination of Jesse James. And there's, wow. there's a couple, there's a few others that are, that are quite good, but for me, um, and I we did a No Country podcast a while ago, and I think I think No Country was legitimately the best movie of that year, which and it was and I pointed out on that podcast that it's kind of special and rare that the actually best movie of a year of the year won the right. Best Picture Oscar. That's the last time that's happened. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I would put this probably right behind that, and then there will be blood after that. So it's it's like uh, right up there. Now, um, but anyone, anyone else, I'm curious other people's takes. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very upfront. I, I think this is just like awesome, but you guys can, can disagree as much as you want. No. Yeah. For the record. I mean, this is, this is an excellent movie. I actually might think it's maybe David Fincher's best movie or his masterpiece to a certain extent. I remember seeing it in high school and being really struck by like Glenn talked about how chilling and excellent and scary and really horrifying the initial murder sequences are in the first hour. And then when it switched up to be something else and it kind of put that by the wayside, it, it really struck me. And that was pretty strange at the time for me to experience that because yeah. I was used to movies being what they were the entire way through. There weren't, you know, that kind of a tonal shift and sustaining that was pretty interesting to me. Um, and also I think the movie does a really good job of establishing a sense of place, which I think is really key to rewatchability for me when it comes to movies if you want to exist there and you want to hang out in that space in that area, and I've always been a sucker for like 1970s journalism movies like China Syndrome or All the President's Men. So yeah, for me, this mm-hmm. is I, I love this movie. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think, uh, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. I'm I'm a there will be blood guy and no country, so it's a tough year for this movie to come out. Like very tough year. I think any other time, it probably is the best movie of most years. If it comes out, I really really enjoyed the movie. Um, it's a it's a pretty pretty stacked year. I mean, I mean, I can't imagine you know a year. It's probably what the last huge year of of movies that we're still talking about uh i I guess unless somebody has yeah probably yeah it probably right because like even even like some of the sci-fi that was coming out like time crimes is a great movie and that like is just like a random like foreign sci-fi movie i mean like people were that film was hitting on all cylinders right there yeah Um, i think it's the best best year of the last 25 years probably 2019 got a lot of hype and which had some good stuff but but yeah i still think what was in 2019 i mean um once upon a time in hollywood was my favorite from then but there was there was a couple others i remember liking a lot yeah i just i just came out in 2000 yeah okay yeah don't forget 2023 had (laughs) t-wow yeah which uh (laughs) well i i would add darjeeling limited and uh uh what is it the beatles one Across the, across, universe. The universe. across the universe atonement was pretty good i like that uh, there, there's yeah no this is a, this is a this, i mean zodiac did I, I think as you know a 33 year old man now watching zodiac I, as as you become closer to the the boomer age i know it's a generation but you get closer to that like boomer age you're just like oh yeah this is this is my type of movie or more so mm-hmm. more so than when it came out and i remember being being really into it but it wasn't a movie you like talked about with your friends at school you know, like when Zodiac came yeah. out, like when No Country came out, that was just so jarring because it was like I'd never seen anything like it ever. It was just it was, you know, a movie with no score. Uh, you know, it was just it just it has. I, I mean, it also has an unsatisfying ending to most people. Right. I mean, if you conventionally conventional movie watchers like No Country, it's kind of the, a similar thing where it's a little bit more action and things happening. But it's both of those movies have kind of unsatisfying endings right you know like it's conventionally speaking so i found that to be kind of kind of interesting that these two kind of award season movies really uh could 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 end like that because i don't think right now you right now if if movies end like that we tend to think they're a little bit lazy right or or the uh that that one of the 45 writers uh bureaucratically assigned to the to the to the film you know they, they couldn't agree on an ending or something yeah, we signed you the ending you didn't do anything right right <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was waiting for the uh zodiac killer to ask someone to call heads or tails <laughs> yes i have a question about the ending in this movie not to not to like skip ahead but i just think it's relevant to yeah. what you guys have been saying i sort of read it this time you know when graysmith is arguing with his wife she says like what do you need to be done with this and he says something like i need to look at him in the eye and know that it's him and then he goes to see uh, what's the guy's name lee allen yeah arthur Arthur lee allen Allen. arthur lee allen and then so he he looks at him they sort of have this like pregnant exchange and then in the text at the end of the film it says that like you know it says something suggestive like gray smith insists that he never got any calls anymore uh, after Arthur Lee Allen died. So I sort of agree on like pure like Hollywood entertainment terms. The the movie is not wrapped up in a typical fashion, but I, I did sort of interpret it as like 
Graysmith may have gotten his victory within the, the text of the film. Yeah, if you ask Fincher, he, he will say, I think Fincher personally, at least at the time they made the movie, he was personally a Arthur Lee Allen truther. He believed it was, was Allen. Um, and Graysmith did too. And Graysmith has written like two books about it. Um, and then, but then if you ask Fincher, he'll say, you know, we were telling the Graysmith version of the story. And so in that version of the story, Alan is guilty or Alan is probably guilty. And that's kind of how we end it. But I just, you know, I just finished that commentary track and he's kind and, he, and the last thing Fincher says in that commentary track is like, he's like, it's not necessarily Alan. That's just kind of like what we said. And then it cuts to black. That's the end. Yeah. Based. So, yeah. it is, so there is kind of a conclusion, but they do make you like, you know, they make you kind of uh, stab stab for it, like kind of grab it out of the air. I like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, it's, it's kind, kind of like of a there's Oliver like a stone. Yeah. There's yeah. like a ma- right. It's it's making your own ending because the Arthur Lee Allen famously, when you look into the case, there just wasn't enough actual evidence other than like he's creepy. Like, you know, and, and his priors, of course, but, you know, with like pedophilia and stuff, but like there was the evidence just wasn't strong enough. And this was a police department that was looking for a conviction too. like they uh, they really didn't want this to be an open case, uh, especially when you take the time period of the late 60s where you just had like the Tate LaBianca murders and all these other things happening. You really wanted to put this guy away. And it, but it's kind of like that male intuition where it's like, well, I know it was him, you know, and there's a lot of theories on who it is, uh, especially of the last couple of years. It's become a thing again about this guy named Paul Doer. That's that could be another another guy that was found through Zodiac charts, which was kind of interesting. But mm. um, but yeah, it's like just the idea that that uh, that Gray Smith is just like, it's him. I know it's him. I'll never I will never get the closure on this, but you can create your own outcome to be like, well, I, I found it. You know, I, I found yeah. him. it's me. It's me. It's truth. My truth. You know, <laughs> it's, it's my truth. And that's at the end of the day, it was all about him. It was about it was never about putting somebody away. It was about him getting the satisfaction. Yeah, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I I, feel I'm, like I'm the, definitely an eight. Oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, no, please. I was going to say, I'm definitely an a cab guy. You know, I'll, you know, cops are bad. Right. Mm-hmm. But but uh, but I kind of actually do put some stock in the thing where like David to- Dave Tosky you know, looks him in the eye, interviews him, and is just like, that's the guy. That's the guy. Like, I, I kind of actually do put some stock in that. But, you know, then again, cops cops have lied before. So, or just been wrong. Yeah. I, I really like to hear how directors describe the way that they direct performances. And there's that scene where Arthur Lee Allen is initially interviewed by Tosky. And uh, the way Fincher told him to play that scene was as if you were innocent, but you're trying to defend yourself and you realize that this sounds very bad, right? Your, your yeah. defense, which that's fascinating to me. One of the big jobs of a director is to be able to describe the performance to the actor in sure. a very like nuanced and complicated way. So that was cool. Yeah. And they do a really cool, Fincher does a really cool thing where, so we only, a couple of you guys have talked about the, 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 the actual scenes, the, the brutal killing scenes. Um, I think there's a, there's, they're visceral and they feel they feel very tragic and terrifying. I don't find them that I don't find them like they're not gory, you know, like they are, you see some like, they're kind of gory. I think the Lake Berryessa one's pretty fucking scary. I'm not, yeah. I I mean, it could happen to you. Oh yeah. 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 It carries extra weight because it was real. Right. 
but I don't, I don't think visual, I personally don't find, think visually it's that. And I don't even like, I don't really watch horror movies anyway, but um, a lot of them at least, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't see it as that, that gory really, but, um, but, uh, oh, anyway, something really interesting that Fincher does though, is that in the, we only see those scenes, we only see scenes where there's a living witness. We only see the one. So there was a killing, you know, a year before those kids in the, um, that were at like makeout yes. point. Mm-hmm. There was a killing before, but both those kids died. So then they, and then there was, you know, there were some other ones, but we only see the ones where there's a witness. Um, and then every time everybody, cause he's hardcore. Yeah. And every time there's a, um, the Zodiac is actually on screen. It's played by someone else. So it's never, it's, it's played by three different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's like, and the different voices and stuff, and they just want to kind of keep you guessing. And they're kind of trying to base the casting off the descriptions from the witnesses. Yeah, well, I I'm, I'm not gonna lie, man. That that Lake Berryessa uh, with the little picnic lunch stabbing. I mean, that I'm not gonna lie. The casual nature of it, of how casual it is, and how I mean, you see, all you see is these beautiful shots of Lake Berryessa. I've seen that lake before. I mean, it's like it's 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 beautiful. Um, and they then all of a sudden you it's not like a a crazy you know entrance for the killer he just like comes out from behind a tree like just really casually and like i don't know if you've ever like been in that like type of scenario obviously it's not the killer i mean all of us are here (laughs) but like if you've been in a scenario you're like who the fuck is that guy and it's like it's not like some guy that you saw pull up and drive get out of his car and everybody's looking but you're like all of a sudden this guy like if you're like on a lake or something, they just like pop out of the woods or something. You're like, who the like, don't just come out like that. And um, no, that that part is is scary. And like Fincher talks about uh, like the actor that 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 plays the the young man that's killed in that in that scene, how he's like was eating a sandwich in the scene and like burped. And he thought he like screwed up the take. But it's just like they were like, no, no, keep going. Like this is this is like so real. And I, it does feel like a it does feel like a, like a real not like dramatized killing. You know, like, like, yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. It's when the they lock time, yeah, the it's the daytime, it's bright, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that might stuff be one scares of the me. Most mm-hmm. frightening murder scenes in a movie for me. I mean, to yeah. be totally honest, because it is I agree. so casual that way. You know, what really does all the, the work, the heavy lifting in that scene is is the audio because it's the, the sound of stabbing. That's really what's... a lot of a lot of times, too, in the film, like, too, like, there'll be moments where initially in the early on in the film, Jake Gyllenhaal walks past the bar where Paul Avery is at like partying. It's a very quick take. It would have been like an entire day of shooting for like three seconds of, you know, screen time uh, where he's just like drinking at the bar. But there's like this scary sucking sound of like wind being sucked into this bar, almost like it's a cave. And it kind of creates like this haunted house feeling. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but there's lots of times in the film where like he fakes you out like that in little tiny ways. Yeah, and I think I'm sure this point's been made before, but the other thing about that scene is that, um, like, the POV at the end, where like she can't, it, you're focused on the girl, and she can't really see what's happening. But I think you, as as you just said, like you hear the sounds of stabbing before you can see it. That it really like stayed with me, and I also think I sort of. Uh, relate to like the dumbass way the kid tried to handle the situation <laughs> where like he's very aggressively being like okay i can like figure out what this guy wants and sort yeah. of like cowboy this thing uh 
And, you know, at least in this circumstance, that's like a very bad idea. So, yeah, I think there's like a bunch of chilling. Th- Although maybe he didn't even handle it poorly. Like maybe they were dead no matter what. But Yeah, I, I, I wanted to talk about that scene because it's like that that was the one that stood out to me the most with like how he was trying to handle it and, and talk about it because he seems like a very realistic kind of guy. Um, and then also I watched like an interview with the actual guy. Um, they have one from like when he's in the hospital recovering back yeah. in the day. And then they have one like from like when this movie after this movie came out. And so apparently like all the details came directly from his uh, memory of it. And that's why they kind of filmed it in that POV. Cause like he was like, I didn't even see him come up with the knife. I just saw a flash out of nowhere. But yeah. And he's like talking through the logic of, he was like, I was going to try to, you know, see it comply with him and he'd comply with me. But then he's like, I didn't know he was a psychopath or anything. Yeah. On, on upon rewatching it, I actually, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of um, dark, I guess, but, but I actually laugh because the girlfriend is like, he could help you. He's a sociology major. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, once you say that you're getting killed, like no one wants, <laughs> no one wants a sociology major. And then he corrects her. He's like, come on, babe, I'm pre-law. Like he's, even, he's about to be killed, but he does not want the killer to, to, to think he's a sociology major. Okay. And in that moment, <laughs> is that like a female moment TM or was this such an innocent time in America that people believed there were big things ahead for sociology? Mm. Bi- biology is <laughs> well, biology, man. Yeah. Well, back then, I mean, so actually I read, I heard a thing from Fincher, I think where that kind of did happen or, or, or when when the guy, so that guy the that was stabbed and survived, he's in the movie, and so is his wife and his two sons. I think one of his sons is in the movie, and one of them like worked on the crew. Like he's this guy is kind of interesting because most of most victims of a serial killer just become reclusive, but this guy kind of kind of enjoys it, I guess. Um, he, he kind of enjoys like the community and being involved in, mm. in all this stuff, and so he he had he had read the script or something, read the script for that scene. And and that was his, they, they had written in there. He's a sociology major. And in the initial script, I don't think it had the line about him correcting the girlfriend saying pre-law. And so they added the pre-law in thing. So then he corrected Fincher and then they added that correction into the movie. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just curious, Granite, what, or any of you guys, what you think about Fincher talks in the audio commentary a little bit about how if you look at the narrative of the summer of love, it kind of gets ended with, with Charles Manson. Right. Mm -hmm. That put a damper on the entire thing. But he talks about the Zodiac maybe being a part of that as well. And when you think of a guy who's described by those kids as being basically just normal or someone with a crew cut, um, sort of the idea of like a basically normal conservative with a small C style person um, committing these murders as perhaps an affront to the San Francisco culture. What do you think about that? Well, I guess the fact I know Fincher will definitely gravitate more towards it because of territory. I mean, he's from the Bay Area. Sure. Uh, 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 Fincher is from Marin, which is a beautiful city. And Mar- but Marin, you know, is not far away from San Francisco. You go to Hippie Hill, hate Ashbury and stuff. Not saying that Fincher was in third grade when this happened. So I doubt he was doing any of that. But just the the 
you know, LA is in terms of California, LA is always going to get the most attention. And of course the Charles Manson stuff like involved like way more celebrity big names and, and, and things like that. Hell it's Roman Polanski and, and, and Sharon Tate. Uh, so that, that of course will always be the thing that ended the summer of love, but it is super crazy that all in the late 60s, I thought for some reason the Zodiac killings were in the seventies. Like I, for the longest time, like I, I thought they were like, I know technically when maybe he never stopped or whatever, but for the most part, I thought the height, like that crazy, you know, run that he was on. I thought that was, I thought that was more in the seventies, but it is crazy though. Through the whole state of California, it was just people just killing people, whether they were hippies or not hippies. Like it was just insane. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about it. If I was like running now for, for office in uh, California, like mayor of San Francisco or something, I might I might make a pitch to the public. Like, look, I'm gonna bring crime down really low, but but we're gonna have like an allowance for a couple serial killers just to keep it interesting. But because uh, like we that's kind of the trade off we made. We used to have a we used to have some serial killers that would make headlines. Now we just have like a lot of low profile killers who just do who just like kill you know each other, I guess, and no yeah. logos. Yeah, I'd say like, look, we're, I'm I'm gonna be really tough on crime, but we might see the emergence of a few like super criminals, but it'll be worth it. Well, you you think about it too. The the, the uh, there. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dave McGowan at all, the author, the the, the weird scenes inside the canyon and programmed to kill. Um, now I will say, oh this yeah, right now, uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't read either of those books, but I kind of know what they're about and what his thesis is and essentially i don't know that i fully buy into this but it is kind of interesting because yes we have development in modern forensics to where it's kind of tougher to be a serial killer now and 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 stuff like that but like now they've just switched fully to like mass shootings and his argument is essentially that there's never been an organic serial killer like uh um in his in in history really it's it's always or at least in the modern era since the cia or whatever has has happened and that was the cia's response to you know hippie or whatever i his mcgowan's definitely more of like a left calm communist kind of guy so you got to take it with a grain of salt but i do think it's interesting like how all at one time you have over the entire state of california and stuff like that you have just a bunch of serial killers running rampant and it goes throughout you know the 70s with like son of sam in new york and all these big cities that had lots of other crime as well that wasn't just like it wasn't just oh the small town where nothing ever happens like no these cities all had their own high crime rates and stuff like they've always been you know coastal cities so I don't know if you guys are familiar with any of that stuff, but I was thinking about that during this time. Yeah, I've 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 heard some of that stuff, um, and yeah, I I have wondered. You know, we had like this. You know, not to be cavalier about it, we had like a golden age of of serial killers sure. um, in the post war era, and then yeah, I don't know if they all disappeared because yeah, law enforcement just got way better and DNA, you know, which didn't really exist until like the early nineties or something, um, or if I do wonder if there's a, there's some still around, but they there's so many resources now for them to learn how to do it that they're just like I'm gonna actually I'm gonna truly randomize my victims in a way that you know people couldn't tell, and I'm not gonna behave like those those serial killers of the past. So, so I do wonder if there's but still some around. They just don't look like it. Because it seems yeah, like I definitely think. Oh, go ahead, please. Sorry, I was just gonna say I think then and now 
if you're like willing to cross state lines and kill prostitutes, I think you can do that forever. It's more, it's more like, um, you know, let me write that you, down real fast. Yeah, we should, <laughs> yeah. We should come up with the optimal serial killer strategy yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is I think if, I think if you're a serial killer where like part of your, uh, kink or whatever is like disrupting uh normal life and that includes like having a response from the press or the local community or whatever like that that might be getting more complicated but yeah Yeah. i think if you were really willing to commit to like a stoic life of random murder you would definitely have a lot of resources now zodiac is only confirmed five kills right i mean that's pretty you know low effort these days right and had survivors too like you don't see them have survivors very often but but the thing that that made him stick was the letters you know yeah yeah Yeah, he had good branding oh yeah yeah he did in watching this i'm kind of like this guy is he would have crushed it whoever it was arthur lee allen or something would have crushed it you know as a tiktoker or something You'd have had such good, such good like engagement bait. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say like it reminds me of Natural Born Killers, which I feel like with that film, it kind of put the nail in the coffin on serial killing and sort of made it like you know uh, not cool because it identified like you ever guys ever see Natural Born Killers? Yeah, where Mickey and Mallory they they gain a fan base, right? It's supposed to be sort of a commentary on like media saturation and stuff. And yet they have fans who say, if I could be a murderer, I'd be Mickey and Mallory, right? Did that movie yeah. make it passe? It might have. It's possible. Yeah, and it's like, back to like what Degree Studies are talking about, like, don't they want the media? And like, there's got to be some guys who, you know, are in it for the love of the game. Like, they just like the act of, of doing that stuff. But a lot of them obviously love the media stuff. And I don't, I don't know if anyone had done that. No, I don't think anyone did it to the extent Zodiac did before him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he obviously was obsessed with the attention and, and this definitely was right before like, you know, advanced computerized forensics and stuff. But the, I think the other confusing thing, um, is his motive. Cause it seemed like, oh, is he anti like young love or is he yeah. not, or is he just like randomly killing people? And it wasn't clear if he like knew some of the victims or not. Or some of the victims knew him, and then like, which is cool. Yeah, yeah, and and just the motive never seems clear. Like he he, other than he wants to hunt people, most dangerous game stuff. But like, there's no there's no linking motive, and I think that's like the hardest thing for for uh, solving crimes is you have to have a motive, and if there's no motive, like you can't really do anything with that. And I think that also ties back into kind of the movie in and of itself where it's, it's kind of like, there's no, there's no reason for any of it. And so like, it's kind of jarring to be like, you know, there's no moral to this story. There's nothing like that. It's just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting at, but, but it, it, it kind of seems similar, like the, the, the lack of motive of the Zodiac and then like the movie itself kind of being the subversion of the, the crime drama. Yeah. And it, it seems like, I mean, really the motive, the only coherent motive is just the attention. And then you, then you get into that thing where I, you know, it, it does seem like, I remember the media for a long time talking about like, Hey, we're not going to name mass shooters anymore. Mm-hmm. We're just going to let them be anonymous and let them, you know, get suicided by cop. And then just, that'll be the end of it. 
Um, and it seems like they really, they've actually kind of stuck to that. Like, I don't really know. I used to know, you know, the names of mass shooters, but I don't really know them now. Um, I don't know if it helps, but, but like, you know, going back, like, would it have just been better for Paul Avery and Robert Graysmith to not, you know, publish any of this stuff and just ignore it? I'm not ignore it, but, you know, yeah. cover it more anonymously. That's what uh, that's, I think. I think what George was saying about how he loves like 70s, like journalists movies and stuff and that that is like one of maybe the one of the i would say the main conflict is of of this of this film or at least the most you know under discussed one is like do you do you make this a thing because you see both sides of it it's like no yeah we have to we have there's a guy running around killing somebody it'd be nice if everybody knew therefore you could get some people to give you some information on you know okay i might have seen this i might have seen that or something but then also you're just gonna get like you know like the drag queens and all those like people just go yeah i know the guy or you know you get a, you get a lot of you know i'm gonna say a word that i don't care for but like misinformation you're, you're gonna get a lot of that a lot of that and um it was tough like it, it was it was it was not it was taking place in california but it was kind of like up and down different cities like you said no rhyme or reason really to who it wasn't like son of sam where women would dye their hair because they knew what kind of hair color he liked and it was just it, i get the dilemma i i, I yeah. i'm not sure what i would have done if yeah. i was you know chief of police or head of the san francisco chronicle you know and he was he was and taking was credit for things he obviously hadn't done, which muddied the waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this was a new thing. I mean, they didn't, you know, have the experience maybe that the guys would have now. I mean, this was pretty pressing at the. I mean, sure. time, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Fincher, one of Fincher's projects after this, tragically, was the show that he stopped making for whatever reason, which Mindhunter. Excellent show. Yeah, which was about you know the formalization of like the FBI, their tactics in in like, you know the psychological profiling stuff which a lot of it's probably bogus but um but you know stuff like yeah stuff like systematic databases and like methods for for finding these people yeah they didn't know any of that yet but he has a whole show about people who invented that stuff yeah well, and i just you get a lot of the you get a lot of the um with with mindhunter i think he i think after covid he just didn't get the budget that he wanted i think that's why that's why he stopped doing that i think co- it you know covid disrupted of course the the uh as it disrupted everything but it disrupted uh uh mind hunter and he just didn't get the budget which i believe is why he picked up his passion project which is this new one that's coming out uh i, I believe that's why he moved on to that but yeah mind hunter was a similar thing and i was kind of thinking of like if you were to like do reddit like fincher universe thing and just be like man it'd be like it's interesting to see these guys in like mind hunter the two detectives like taking a shot at like zodiac you know what i mean like it would be it would be an interesting thing to see uh as corny as that might sound but you you wonder because it was as george said it was new to a lot of these people yeah. like it was it was new you i mean you had movies like dirty harry come out where it's like dirty harry was one of the first like true from the cop perspective serial killer that wasn't like norman bates you know it wasn't this this thing where you 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 see you know it's in this small hotel that everybody sees you know what's behind the curtain instead of rather like it's like the serial killer who done it situations were very new back then i just wanted to say about your your question about would it help to not report the names i think like mass shooters it's a little unique because they, they really seem like almost like a, a spinoff or a subgenre of serial killers where it really is all about the media. Whereas like my impression of serial killers is that like 
there are different types and some of them, the media was an important part of it, but for some of them, they really just liked killing. Uh, and it made me think of this interesting thing, which is like a lot of Western people who study China have talked about how China would be like an ideal society for uh, a serial killer because they don't have like good lines of communication uh, between like cities and rural areas. And they have like rural disappearances all the time that nobody looks into. And so there's like criminologists and stuff who say like, oh, yeah, there's probably some Chinese serial killer who has like hundreds of bodies but it would be I, I think I lend to the interpretation that like criminals will seek out or like deviant personalities will seek out whatever vulnerability your society has so like sure. you know the media and cultural environment like is somewhat implicated so like if it turned out that like uh, you know the fact that Chinese society would like totally not react to this act in any way like I could maybe buy that that in fact means it like won't really happen because nobody's nobody's interested in in occupying a space that no one else is interested in but I I think it's like it's sort of a I don't even mean this as like a criticism of of liberalism or anything but like I support news stations not saying the names but like you know if you have a sort of open attention you know attention market share driven media like there's just always going to be people who know that if they do something really despicable in public like it'll be a big deal and i'm not sure that there's like a technical solution to that it's just that like whatever environment you create that you know once people are willing to give up their own lives or their own souls or whatever like you can't uh you can't really defend against it yeah that's a great point. That's something that they, they touch on in the film too, in which like they probably could have caught this guy if the park rangers had been talking to Vallejo and Vallejo had been talking to San Francisco, yeah. but they make a note that the Zodiac is smart. He committed these crimes in different places. So they would be hard to put the pieces together. Well, it's a good thing. We just can give up all of our uh, autonomy and freedom now so we can find those guys now. So that's- you're right. Exactly. We need to be federalized <laughs> to the max. Yeah. I love yeah, that. That's- you know, George, about what you're saying, I I had a thing I wanted to say about this movie, and I was curious if you guys agreed, where, like, I think nine out of ten directors, if they make this movie, uh, they would lean into the idea that, like, part of what's going on here is that the Zodiac is a genius. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it takes, like, a ton of restraint for Fincher to present the story in the way that's, like, well, maybe he's smart. Maybe he's not. Like, the real barrier here is, like, yeah, these institutions are disconnected, and for whatever reason, there's no physical evidence, uh, and, like, the witnesses are a little dodged. So, like, it's sort of... You know what I mean? Like, so many serial killer movies where you can't catch the person, it always becomes, like, oh, the mind of this killer, like, will never match up to it. Whereas, like, in this movie... They don't really build a persona right. for the theoretical Zodiac at all. It's almost like disinterested in that. And I think that's such an interesting uh, and probably like difficult to make choice when you're approaching Well, I don't think the story. movie has a pers- – yeah, I think you're right. It doesn't have a perspective. It doesn't say that the fact that these – that we have federalism is bad, right? It, you know, it doesn't say like, oh, if only we had like, you know, a giant like uh, – Right. IT center where every single bit of metadata was collected and this wouldn't be a problem. But it just presents it as a, a, a true fact of the case, right? 
Yeah. yeah, I had I had seen this movie, you know, a long time ago. I've seen it many times over the years, but I hadn't seen it for hadn't seen it for probably five years or something. And in my mind, for some reason, I had thought, oh, yeah, that Zodiac guy, he sure was smart. Like he was, you know, doing these really sophisticated ciphers and, um, you know, he never and he got away with it. Rewatching it and then reading more about the case, it, it actually seems like he was he wasn't particularly smart. No, he got away with it just because no. of. Uh, yeah you know, mismanagement and, and poor communication. And you mentioned, George, you mentioned the park ranger, uh, you know, that guy like cleaned up a bunch of evidence. He like cl- literally cleaned like the car or something where, uh, at the, at Lake Berryessa <laughs> and stuff. So yeah. And Ruffalo has a line too, where he goes, Hey, my only case is the cab driver that got killed. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. You know, he's not like the super max guy on the case. He's just got yeah. one tiny piece of it. Yeah, yeah. It, there's not a there's not a big ideological slant to this, which I which I like. I mean, it's 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 cold. It's cold in every sense, right? Like it's it's Fincher just saying like here you're as confused. You're watching this. You're as confused as any as any detective or cartoonist or whoever is is trying to solve this case. And I I really identify with art where I am as confused. I I don't like to know something that the that the protagonist doesn't. I don't really like that. I kind of like to just be taken on the ride along with them, which yeah. is like when you read like you know Kafka's The Trial. Is you're you're just like I don't I don't know what's happening, but it's fine. And I think now like audiences. I think if this movie came out now, people like us would like it, of course, and and stuff like that. But there'd be so many people that would really get mad that they're not that they weren't kind of like cued in on something in like this like. In, in all these movies now just being so like even like in a De Palma fashion where it's like you kind of like peel, pull behind the curtain and see something that nobody else sees and stuff and I'm glad that this movie is is like that I had forgotten all about that that I'm just like oh no I, I you you learn really nothing <laughs> like you don't yeah. you don't learn anything in this right. movie and, and but and, and that again not a pejorative that's good because it's one of the biggest unsolved mysteries ever if not the biggest I feel like what I learned from it is that uh, handwriting recognition is probably bullshit. Sure. And it's like maybe a disaster that that was <laughs> like such a big part of so many criminal proceedings. Because it's like there's so much weird stuff and it must all be true where he's just like, ah, like this guy changed how he writes K, like never seen it before. Rather odd. Yeah, I know that the, I, I personally know the handwriting thing is bogus because – I, I write differently. Like I know I do. Sometimes I'll, you know, write something with three strokes. Sometimes I do two. Like I, I just know I write differently from instance. And do you, and do you kill strangers? You're going to have to find out. Okay. Zodiac 2. Yeah. Definitely. He, only, he only kisses strangers. <laughs> Zodiac <laughs> colon prodigy. <laughs> yeah. Zodiac the beginning. Um, we have some breaking news. What's that? A uh, mass casualty, mass shooter event, 22 dead in Maine. Mm. Yeah, I Jesus saw that right before Stephen we King. started recording. It was, St- it was Stephen King. <laughs> they're, they're saying they caught the 22. guy, but I just oh saw God. that. They caught him alive? Uh, yeah. Oh, they usually just go down. But conspiracies are to... already starting. They're saying he's wearing different clothes. So mm. I, I didn't want to get too weird here, but like we talked about like the mass shooter versus the serial killer. I recently saw, against my better judgment, watched like a five-minute video of a 
couple, I think it was in Minnesota who had an argument with their neighbor about like shoveling their lawn and uh, shoveling their driveway. Yeah. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You've seen this? I think so, yeah. I, I, yeah. I saw it's it on like, the TL. I couldn't watch it, but yeah. You, you know what? Sh- I shouldn't have sat in my car eating Burger King breakfast and watched this shit, you know, but I am a, a creature of American media, right? So I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's going on here, right? With the murderer. And then he obviously went in and killed himself. So this is obviously a person that's at the end of their rope. And this is an end of your rope move, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the serial killer is not like that, right? The Zodiac is a guy who I think – the cool thing about the movie, I think, is that it leaves it open to the fact that this, this is a person who – the fact that when we, we get Darlene and her boyfriend at the beginning and there's sort of this open-ended idea whether or not she knows the guy. So he could have started mm-hmm. out like being a vengeful lover – of some sort. Um, and then Mm -hmm. like sort of, you know, like post hoc was like, actually, no, I'm a notorious serial killer with a, um, alter ego and a logo to justify what he was up to. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Cause they always, they always say in these movies, at least in like pop treatments of the, the psychological evaluations of serial killers, they'll be like, Oh, they, like their need to kill is accelerating. And so I, I, that always struck me as like, well, is that a real thing? Like any other addiction, like some people beat it or like some people it goes up and down. Like, is it really the case that with this one thing, like if you're into killing people, you would have to do it more and more. And so it's sort of, because we don't know who it is, we don't know the person could have died, but like, it's an interesting idea that if for whatever reason, like the, the psychological profile of this person or how they got into it or the specifics of their life that they might've stopped killing. Like, cause it, I will concede like that does seem atypical. Well, one because- of, one of the things that uh, reinvigorated interest in Zodiac was the, what's he called? Like the golden gate killer, a golden state killer. Golden state or killer yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, they caught him many years later with DNA uh, and like, you know, Patton Oswald's wife was involved or whatever. Um, but Wait, what? uh, yeah, Patton <laughs> Oswald's it? wife, was, she was basically Robert Graysmith for this other killer. Oh, did they ever catch her killer? Uh, he's, he's still on Twitter posting. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, I, unfortunately <laughs> they did not. Yeah. Yeah. It's also funny because one of the implications of this movie that I agree with, and I'm not, I'm not trying to like dunk on the Oswald family, but I just think it is true <laughs> that like, uh, if you're obsessed with a serial killer who didn't kill anyone, you know, like your <laughs> marriage is a sham. It's true. <laughs> well, the, but I was saying though, is that, uh, I think that guy went dormant for like 30 years. I think he, yeah. I think he stopped. I think he, and that could be, I don't know, his T levels dropped low enough that he's just like, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't, I don't know. Just perhaps, perhaps he was, uh, seed oils, you know, seed, that, yeah, seed oils. Oh, made yeah. Him, <laughs> Yeah, he was touching too many receipts. And he was like, "I don't want to do this shit anymore." Yeah, so if we got if we yeah. got any serial killers listening, get get yourself to the endocrinologist. You know, get some help. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he was peeing, you know, he would have he would have just kept going. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just pull over and get an ice cream. Yeah, cut out a Mexican coke and I. It's like you, you know, they go to the. You see, like the, uh, you see the detectives go to the house and it's like, oh, there's these Mexican coke bottles everywhere. I don't know. This is, uh, we're, I think we're onto something. What does it mean? Right. Imagine, it, imagine uh, you're a, a serial killer, and and it, and you just it starts to lose its excitement. That must be crazy. Yeah, don't you just kill yourself at that point? 
Yeah. Wouldn't you think? Where do you go? Where do you go after that? Yeah, I would think you would kill yourself. Like you'd be like, "Well, this is my magnum opus. This is you know." Yeah, they call that the most Isn't dangerous game of solitaire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when you get the Hellraiser box out, right? When you've ex- absolutely exhausted every avenue, right? Yeah, yeah. You, so would, you, gotta, you would think. go to Canada. Well, have you guys heard about? And I know this is about the film, but have you guys heard about the the Paul Dore theory? Uh, is this guy named Paul Dore? Uh, who people? It, it's a newer development on who you know could be the Zodiac killer. Um, there's this guy named Jared Kobeck who wrote a book about about how this could be the Zodiac killer, and this guy did like insane amounts of research. He he goes on a lot of podcasts and stuff and talks about. It. I think he was on Rogan. And he's, he's been on a lot of a lot of stuff, but he. Uh, Basically, this guy was like a part of like a bunch of extremist militias, which I don't that that part kind of steers me off where it's like, I don't if I'm a, a serial killer, I'm not joining militias, but um, he he was part of I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Minutemen, um, which was like kind of like a quote unquote, like libertarian, like we're trying to create a sovereign state, but like they were then deemed uh, uh terrorists for yeah. you know, stuff like it was I think it was a late 90s thing, but uh, this guy was you know, he was, had the military background, which that was one thing that stuck out to me in the film was just like the boots that could only, you know, that only, I, f- I forget what, what the, the, but only a military guy would have had these like boots and, yeah. and, and, and things. And I, a lot more men served in the military back then. So I, I guess it, that didn't really narrow down your, uh, uh, narrow down your research, I guess. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. If you look up the, uh, the Paul Doerr, it's D O E R R for anybody that's, uh, listening that's that's kind of a fun that's kind of a uh fun rabbit hole there was a guy you know there was there's basically every few years the the pattern is like someone finds a new original suspect to to write a book about and then that gets like some traction or, or not but there was a recent one where um they they tried to line up like ted kaczynski the time like the timing works out like he was in la for that one killing and then up in you know, Northern California for the rest or whatever. And they stopped when he moved to his cabin sort of thing. Mm. Well, th- this guy, this Paul Dore guy was always trying to recruit women to do like sex retreats at this like crazy, like sovereign, like kind of off the grid cabin that he was doing, which, <laughs> Hey, again, that guy's like, stealing my move. Yeah. yeah. Lots of guys are doing that. Well, that's why they don't fall for it anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, it's like, geez. Well, Oh yeah. I mean, that reminds me of one of my point. And we kind of talked about this, but, it must have been so incredibly easy to do crime back then. Uh, sure. If you're, if you have a, you know, if you're at least a little bit organized, you you could get away with a lot. Yeah, especially like stealing something. That had to be the easiest thing. Just even like like there's violent crime, but then like just like taking something. I mean, like just well, comparing then and now, I I had the question: what's what's scarier, uh, San Francisco during the Zodiac reign or San Francisco now? I I am a San Francisco truther. Uh, I there's like three parts of San Francisco that you see on like the the tent city videos, and th- those are disgusting. The thing is, is they kind of always have been disgust. Like San Francisco was never the, never this clean city. It was never uh, you know dirt. There's a reason the movie Dirty Harry exists. Like uh, that's also a tie into this movie a little bit too. But like there's there was a, it's a reaction to the fact that like San Francisco kind of went to shit basically yeah. a long time ago. But like I was just in San Francisco the other day and I was at Fort Point where um, which is basically underneath the Golden Gate Bridge um, and it's where uh, Kim Novak's character falls in the water in Vertigo. 
um it's 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 beautiful i mean there's like all these parts of it is, is still beautiful um and i guess i don't know I, I guess the fact yeah there's probably a lot more crime but it is interesting when when people are like well oh, i could never go to san francisco i don't want to die it's like well i just i just went i mean it was, yeah it's like yeah. the trade-off of like a yeah 80 <laughs> percent chance of getting your window smashed in one to two times a year versus you know one yeah. percent chance of getting killed or something look i know you gotta i know you gotta sensationalize things when you want to prove a point it's not things are not going well over there it is not a well-run city I just the 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 Daily Wire ilk that like constantly points to like stuff that it's like have you have you been you know like I don't yeah. know have you have La- you been? last time I was there it was like 2019 I want to say and uh-huh. I did have to step over several homeless people in the oh, financial shit. district yeah but and there's yeah. literal shit on the streets like that stuff <laughs> is true I just I there's people that are like there's gonna be a schizophrenic that comes out with a hammer and like it's like okay like they're you see those guys from like a mile away and you're like, Oh, it's just, <laughs> yeah, they're not so fast. You can outrun yeah, them. Easy. No, I know. It's like, man, it's it, it exactly. But like, yeah, it's I'm just thinking point. of the picture of that, of that, that chubby older lady. And that bothers you. That's bothering <laughs> yeah. you. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's true. And I, and I don't even like, I try not to sound like that, but it's like, I have to be objective. It's like, I go and it's everybody I know that like has gone and they're just like, Oh yeah, that wasn't like, what people said it was you know just from from like they used to always they people used to not want to go in the 80s because they thought they would get aids from the air so it was like there's always been this like mystique around san francisco of like oh you if you go there like something weird's gonna the 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 the, whatever decades scariest thing is gonna get you because it's san francisco the real problem with bagging on san francisco is it uh takes attention off of what a shithole new york has become again I think Which that's is a, I think that's a true. much greater outrage. Yeah. Yeah, I was in no, an Uber I'm... from a airport and I had a cab driver complain to me about it. So that's how you kind of know it's real. Sure. They've seen it all, right? Was his name Travis Bickle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I said, "Hey, pull up to my apartment. My wife's hanging out with some guy." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just exactly. Exactly. Um, let's uh Let's move on to the performances because I think this is such a performance movie. Sure. Um, there's so many actors in this movie, and there, there's you know a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of those guys that you when when they pop up, you're just like, oh, all right, nice, this guy's in the movie. Um, so I just like to hear from you guys. What are what are some of your favorite performances? You can go for the the main actors or the you know we've barely even talked about like Gyllenhaal and stuff, but well, I, I know everybody's thinking of Elias Codius. And his mm-hmm. great performance, right? I was. Yeah. Okay. It is a good performance. Good. But seriously, why is that guy not more, in more stuff? He's the he's the best. I feel like I he's, he's in a on, ton of stuff. But I think he's also on TV a lot, which sometimes okay. stops people from being in more movies. Have you uh, ever yeah, seen what, the, what, the, the David Cronenberg crash? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, uh-huh. that image of him and uh, uh, James Spader uh, get getting it on in the in the car that's the only thing i can ever think about with elias Codius. so that's <laughs> a great uh, movie a great movie yeah, great, book, really great movie great movie. book speaking I, I, of that uh cool fraser i think that one of the reasons he isn't in more films is he got divorced in like 2009 and hasn't been remarried so he's probably just busy slinging wood <laughs> yeah sure. you're right he probably is slinging wood <laughs> yeah um, I I do like that this, the, that pre Tony Stark 
downy where he's not like nudge nudge wink winking at the camera and he's just kind of a regular kind of shit bag a little bit like just a classic downy that's nice to see well, yeah this is kind of in the marvel stuff. universe though right like we got we got <laughs> yeah. the whole we got tony stark yeah it's true. Well, he's good, it's good and point. he steals the scenes when he's in them but he they don't rely on him for the entire movie mm-hmm. right no, it's a Finch. It's Fincher the- is the star of the show. Fincher is the star yeah. of the show of this movie, right? I mean, like it, 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 he he is. It's in the same way that like Pulp Fiction has a huge cast, but it's it's Tarantino. Like you, everything you see is Tarantino. It's Tarantino dialogue. It's everything he would ever say. It's uh, that that I just feel like when you have this huge ensemble cast, but the director still is the star of the show. Like that's when you know you're you got you know Hitchcock used to be like that too, right? Like this is. Same thing. I did find myself like I think RDJ is great in this. I think everyone's great. I mean, I think Gyllenhaal and Ruffalo and them together mm-hmm. is maybe my favorite dynamic because I also really like how like uh, Gyllenhaal is able to pull Ruffalo back into autism. Yeah, like it's, it's sort of like like it was making me think of like if you have a friend in high school who stops doing drugs oh, or yeah. he gets a he gets a girlfriend and doesn't come out anymore. And you're like, but this is going to be at the place we're going. Yeah. And that, they're like, yeah. okay, I got it. I got it. I love that scene. That that my, night. Yeah. That night meetup that they have is so funny. I love that. Yeah, scene. So like, <laughs> I love what that dynamic captures. And I think they're both great. I would, I, I really like Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, but I found myself somewhat confused about the Paul Avery character and like his role in the story. Like, is it, supposed to show that like there's this hotshot reporter who's like really popular and successful but he sort of knows about Graysmith that like Graysmith is actually autistically devoted to the story in a way that maybe he's not and that's like the contrast or I, I just didn't know exactly what Paul Avery's character was doing in the in the story yeah I mean I think I think the true and the true story um is basically that, but like, you know, he, it was his job to cover it, but it was like uh gray Smith's just his passion. But he, you know, Avery, I think was happy to have gray Smith, like doing original research for him for free. I think the cool thing in the real appeal of journalism and cop movies is that it's the only profession where you could show up to work, like absolutely hammered and like haggard and all goofed up and skip meetings and make your own hours and do whatever you want. That's kind of like the whole gig. That's like the romantic element of it, right? Um, yeah. To where it's like, yeah, I can work at midnight and then not show up until 10 and not get fired. You know, you, like a certain amount of autonomy. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in a newspaper and you're churning out, you know, you're, you're churning out uh, copy or whatever, then then you're good. Even if you're yeah, if you're Hunter S. Thompson, no, no problem. But I also, I also wanted to say, Granite, just about the performances. That we've probably made this point on this show before, but I don't know if this gets harder over time or it's just something only a director like Fincher can pull off. But I think I so appreciate movies where it's like even the bit players are like really, really accomplished actors. And so, like, everyone, no matter how much time they have on screen, is, like, doing something interesting and compelling. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like maybe it's a budget thing. I feel like there used to be more movies like that when we were kids and, and probably before that. And 
Zodiacs, even for its time, is like a little bit of a throwback in that sense where like, you know, every police chief or sheriff of these local counties is like someone you recognize who does a good job. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think all the wives are really good. I know June Diane Raphael. I think she's Toski's wife. She's not like a huge actress, but I think she's really good. Yeah, she's very recognizable. Like I didn't her I looked at her IMDb and it was like not as much it was less than I would have thought cuz I I feel like I see her all the time. Mm-hmm. I was going to say she's married Anthony to Edwards. Paul Shear. Anthony Edwards, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought the, he back was back real quick on RDJ um I wanted to say that he I feel like he gets a lot of the best lines in the movie. I feel like this this movie is incredibly well written and then he with him getting a lot of the best stuff. And, and, and in terms of the writing, one thing that really stuck out to me too is like, um, there's a lot of snappy dialogue, but it never goes over the cliff into like the Sorkin territory. Sure. It never starts feeling like, you know, just like honor students who are just competing with each other to like yeah. see who can have the, the most clever thing to say. It's like, feels very smart and clever, but not try hard. Yeah, like Adam McKay's Zodiac would be really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think, granted, that's actually a... You were comparing this at the beginning to Oppenheimer, and I think that's an area where I... I mean, I think this movie is better than Oppenheimer in a million ways, but I, I think Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer bled into Sorkin territory, even with some of the RDJ performance um, and his his counterparts in the last third of this movie. And yeah, this this movie has like an insane balance of there are a lot of zingers and a lot of great lines, but it's not, uh, it doesn't have that debate club quality. Yeah. And the, the RDJ Jake Gyllenhaal thing is really good. Like he's, he's, I mean, it's it's kind of like, you know, he's the, the guy who's been around the block in Hollywood and Gyllenhaal at the time is a pretty up and coming young guy. And, and then it's the same dynamic kind of in their, in their, in what they're portraying. Um, you know, like that guy, he's like, does it bother you that people call you retard? And then uh, Hall <laughs> comes back to his desk and he's like, do people call me names? And, uh, you know, RDJ is like, you mean like retard? You know, and then, um, you know, he's, you know, he's hazing him and giving him a really hard time, like at the bar and stuff. Like, you know, I, I just think it's th- their back and forth is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I like uh, I like Philip Baker Hall, even though his job's fake. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I like him. Right. I like him a lot. I, I just like when he just pops up in things. It's really cool. Uh, and uh, I know George was talking about Anthony Edwards. Thought he was really good too. And um, it, I completely had forgotten Chloe Sevigny was in this. Uh, I don't like because I haven't seen it since high school. I completely forgot she was in there. Um, but yeah, that it's it's really no bad with, casting in here. With her, Fincher even talks about that it's a thankless role, and then he starts comparing her to his hot babysitters when he was a kid. Yeah. He was like, you know, <laughs> he had just watched the yeah, he watched her work well, in the Brown Bunny, well, and he was like, yeah, like, you, you know, you, you don't think about him, but then you see him, and you're like, wow, they're actually beautiful. Yeah, he's, he's like, like you're a little kid, and then you you hit a certain point, and you're like, oh. But no, I love Fincher's commentary because like, you know, I guess we talked about how this movie is detached or almost Kubricky. And I think if there's an heir to Kubrick, it might be Fincher. Right. But like throughout the entire commentary, it's it's almost like a just a total nostalgia move for Fincher. He's like, oh, I was here as a kid. My dad used to wear this. 
this is the newspaper I had as a kid. So it almost mm. seems like this is like a, you know, a, a therapy thing for him a little bit. Oh, and you, you hear whole- about like in the behind the scenes thing, how important it was for them to get the exact issue of the Chronicle, like all inside the, oh. the San Francisco Chronicle, like headquarters. Yeah. And then I also I thought there was an ode to hit an ode to Hitchcock, too. There's one shot where it's like an aerial shot of the Golden Gate Bridge that looks completely fake. Yeah, and just, that <laughs> yeah. totally. I loved it, though. It was totally like a, a it doesn't Hitchcock bother thing. you. Fincher's no, so not at all. good with CGI. He's so good. Yeah. And There's he so got much start, CGI I think in, this, you guys, in this, too. Yeah, it's so Probably much. know this, but his, fir- his first job was working on Return of the Jedi. Uh, especially uh, I, did, I, did, I did know that. Yes, yeah. That's crazy. I want to stay in the um, performances part, but 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 do go into this. Like, talk about... Because this is filmed on digital, like, not- notably filmed on digital, like, just literal 1080p yeah. digital cameras. Uh, how does it How does it look so good? That's a great question. I, I cannot tell you that. I'm not that much of a super spec guy. But what, what I will tell you is that Fincher has this uncanny ability to when people like me bitch about the use of too much CGI and laziness in terms of CGI, he gets a pass. He says in the commentary, yeah, we use CGI blood because it was faster. And we were trying to work and say, okay, I get that. Like You're shooting about as many setups in this movie as, of course, as he was on Casino. Right. I mentioned before in this podcast about how they walk by the bar and Robert Downey Jr. is in there and there's a lighting setup and there's probably 30 extras. Right. And it's two seconds of film. Right. So the guy's just absolutely on it. He has done CGI really well. Uh, we haven't talked about some of his other movies, maybe in comparison to this one, but like I know in the movie The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, he used a lot of CGI, but you wouldn't know it. He uses it very sparingly and it's never like a huge show i think i'm thinking of like the three times uses it is is the building of that uh 1970s uh what, what was that building trans america trans america pyramid mm-hmm. yeah and then there's also the golden gate bridge and there's that god's eye view of the cab right now those yeah. things kind of take you out of the movie a little bit sure right but i think they kind of work for the most part Right. I yeah. I loved. I I loved. And then uh, you find out. Yeah. All the old San Francisco neighborhoods are all CGI and stuff. And there's parts of it that stick out. There's a lot of sounds. Yeah. The blood on the cabin. Their intersection. Right. Well, there was one of the intersections that they couldn't film at. Obviously, because it was it would just been too much to make. You know, 2007 San Francisco look like 1969 or whatever. They they, they, it had to be done in like a parking lot of a studio and stuff. That they, I mean, it is masterful work. I mean, when if even Uh, if you have problems with the technology, if the right person finds it, they can make anything work. I give it a pass because I would love to have been the prop master on this film. Like you look around that set, it would have been like going back in time to visit this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There was that sequence in which uh, Robert Downey Jr. goes and talks to the publisher, I think it is, the bald guy with the glasses. And he's like, hey, you got to get yourself fixed up. You're all doinked on cocaine and booze, right? And mm. on the back of his shelf, he has a copy of a paperback called The the Selling of the President, 1968, which was quite the hot paperback back then. And I have, and I've read, and it's a shit book. I mean, compared to like the exposés <laughs> we have now, like what they try to unearth about Nixon is like completely prosaic compared to what we have today. But just that kind of detail is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have one more uh, performance to call out. The uh, John Carroll Lynch as Arthur Lee Allen. Great. That, just that scene, oh, I feel like, is is probably the best scene of the movie. And, like, how scary he is, even though he's just, like, a guy sitting there. 
that got him so much work too. I remember seeing him in you know, what American Horror Story is like Twist, Twisty the Clown, and like <laughs> you know, and uh, same with uh, there was he was in another show called like the, or um, like a Netflix movie that I actually kind of enjoyed called like the Inf- Invitation or something, mm. where he, where it was like this kind of dinner party gone bad, of course, like but and he was real creepy. Yeah, that, that movie you know, rules. Yeah, that was a that was a good movie. I I I'd actually reminding myself to watch when i saw him in there he plays it's he almost plays the that same character essentially mm-hmm. like and it's put into that film and it's like man it, it, then you have to realize this is a guy that was a big dork in fargo you know like a <laughs> yeah. huge dork uh like uh help basically you know minnesota cop or whatever uh, francis mcdormand's husband in that movie like and, and yeah. he manages to be frightening yeah, that, yeah, that scene, and then the the scene where um, he goes into the guy's basement, the poster writer guy's basement, sure. and he thinks he's going to get killed. Those two scenes for me are like perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they're and they're both. Um, so on that on the interrogation scene when they go up to to Arthur Leon's job, yeah, he's incredible in that scene, and he starts it out. You know how they? I think George mentioned that. Um, you know, they're like act like a an innocent uh, act like a act like you're innocent or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And he, he does start out and he seems totally like a guy who's guilty acting innocent. Um, and they're like, why didn't you follow Like, did you follow the story? Are you aware of the Zodiac killer? And he's like, I followed it at first, but it's just too morbid, too morbid. Like he's just, he just yeah. totally sounds like a guy who's lying through his teeth, but, but uh, I don't know. It just, it's perfect. And then by the end, yeah, he's absolutely terrifying. Um, and then that basement thing, going back to the like digital digital camera stuff, they they lit that scene. And I, I don't know much about cameras. And George, you probably heard this on the commentary as well. But in that low light setting, they lit that basement scene just with you know the the forty watt light bulbs that were in that basement, mm. which was a, a fake basement. They, they built it, but but uh, apparently you couldn't do that on film. You'd have to bring no, in be, you know, be too dark. extra light. But it looks, you know, it looks just like you're in your grandparents' basement. Yeah. And it's creepy. That they've got the creepy, like single bulb, like lighting up the whole dark basement, and it's under, <laughs> yeah. it's an underpowered bulb and stuff. No, so I understand. I understand why why Fincher would like um, that because I remember when I first started making movies, I would like walk into areas and I'd say, "Oh, this is like uh, this looks like cinematic lighting to me." But then you bring your camera in there, and it doesn't do it justice. You realize you have to fake it, you know? Yeah. Um, or like trying to take a picture of the moon with your iPhone. <laughs> exactly. Um, I gotta say, like the best. Totally, like every every moment he's in, totally steals the the, the movie. Is Brian Cox. He's like he's kind of doing some of the uh, the Hannibal stuff from Manhunter, mm-hmm. but he's also bringing some different stuff into it. But but Brian Cox as the um, as like the celebrity lawyer. Yeah, he's I, awesome. I was gonna mention. Uh, yeah. Manhunter, because we talked about Mindhunter and then just the genre of it. But um, anyway, big, uh, you know, we're a big fan of the Manhunter on this. Yeah. And that's the last time Glenn was here. I was going to say, it's, it's I, I, like, he, he was the bridge. He was the bridge between my two appearances, apparently. And, and it's not like Glenn is some serial killer obsessive. It's just, it just happened to work out this way. But no, I'm, I, I, why well, I've this, I'm not a true crime guy. I am a fake crime guy. I love fake, <laughs> love fake crime, but like, I, no, I like like hard boil. I love reading like hard boiled stuff, and like I, I like when it's just like a fun uh, story and stuff. But like that, it's weird. Like this doesn't feel. I, I don't know if you guys were 
if if you felt this way, like this doesn't feel like a real thing that happened. Right. The Zodiac. Like to me, I watch it. I'm like, this, this feels like that's why I think people might like from our generation, I'm speaking to anyone that's a millennial here, like from our generation, if we didn't know anything about it, I can understand why some people who were, you know, 17, 18, when this came out, are probably like, well, what's the big deal? You, they never caught the guy, you know, like what, what's, what's the, you know, what, what's the big deal about it? Cause it doesn't feel real. I'm like, damn, this guy really went to like these places that I've been to and like killed people. Like, that's crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in that camp, right? Like I, I didn't ever study Zodiac killer stuff. You know, I'm, I'm definitely in that fake, fake crime camp, you know, love fake crime. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so like when watching it, like for the first time recently, it was like, yeah, very riveting, just as good as any, you know, episode of Columbo or whatever. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but good like, stuff, yeah, there's, yeah, there's not that payoff. And I think if anything, like that's kind of the biggest statement of this movie, but, but yeah, and also just the violence, but maybe that's just a Fincher thing. I don't know. Men will not always be rewarded in real time for their hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I, yeah, there's no, I guess there's the, in terms of narrative payoff, but I like, I love that last scene with that, that guy, Jimmy Simpson who's kind of a funny looking actor, but mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's like, he's like, that's the guy who shot me in 1968 or whatever. And then they cut to the Donovan song, the hurdy gurdy man. That's like perfect. That love is like love such that an incredible ending. Yeah. And that, I was like, damn, the, did the McPoyle brothers do this? <laughs> like, did they yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> They were stupid, so it makes sense. Yeah, the Zodiac Killer was dumb. But yeah, no, the hurdy-gurdy man. I mean, that's another thing I would be uh, pissed if I didn't mention is uh, Three Dog Night, you know, all these great, just great songs that are in here. Even when, um, I for- what's the song that's playing in the hardware store? Oh, uh, Baker Street, uh, uh, Jerry Rafferty. Like, you can hear it on the radio playing. Like, uh, it just kind of takes you through, like, the time periods. But not in this... Not in this, like, what was the number one song in 1979? Okay, we'll play that. Like, it was kind of like, you know, you, you got to know just a little bit about music to know that, like, because I, I believe Fincher had some trouble. He had, he had a, I forget what other song he wanted, he said in the commentary. Moon, that, moon dog, that was a Moondog song, I think, for the opening track they played. Right. And then he settled on the Three Dog Night because he had more of a, he had a personal he had a personal uh, attachment to that original song, but I, he conceded that it's like actually probably works. It probably works more no. if I if I don't get my way here. Yeah, all the music uh, are so good. Like you got Steely Dan, you have Gary Puckett. You know, young girl, mm-hmm. get out of my mind. Like stuff that was like sure. a hit then that is not so much. You know, yeah, um, it's not in now. Coke commercials now. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah, it's not. It's not uh, Journey. Yeah, um, I wanted to go back to Brian Cox real quick because I don't know if you guys watched the uh, director's cut, but uh, there's the scene at his house. He calls the cops over to his house to like tell him about I think a letter he got or something. And did you guys see this part where he talks about his trip to Africa? I don't think I did. Yeah, th- I don't think it's in the th- no. theatrical cut. But he's like, he's like, have you guys been to Africa? And they're like, no, of course not. And he's like, you you have to go. Beautiful savages. <laughs> 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 but we get that you know uh thank you sir to the cross dresser i mean we there this is a very 2007 yeah. movie this was like pretty yeah. silent revolution well, of our culture right and one of the funniest things is in that in that uh commentary track so there's the scene when when the guy you know asks um 
uh, Graysmith if if he objects to being called a retard being called retarded. When on the commentary track, I um, uh, Fincher's like winding up, and I'm like, oh, he's gonna he's gonna like apologize for that word because he's like he's like, oh yeah, here's the scene where we say the word retarded. Um, but I thought he was gonna apologize for the word. But what he does is he apologizes like to Graysmith, I guess. He's like, I don't know if people really thought this about him. We just thought it'd be a good line or something. Like, I was like, oh, wow. He didn't even, like, there was no sense of like guilt about using the word or anything. Just, uh, it, just it, that. It, yeah. It just reminded me that he did Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, like sometimes like Fincher movies, like they all have a look to them. They're very cold, clinical and, and just autistic, including Fight Club. But like, sometimes you forget <clears throat> about his filmography sometimes like you're like oh yeah he did that you know like he did he did the social network which also has lines like that and uh things like that he did all these random movies um so i i do think that's like kind of the brilliance of fincher is where he has a discernible style and something that you can you can point out but then you kind of forget that you're like you, you, while you're watching the movie, you forget about his filmography sometimes, and, and except for these little reminders, like because that yeah. retard line really like sticks out. You're like, that feels like a different script. That feels like different, but it again in the same way that George was talking about some of those CGI shots, they take you out a little bit, but you're right back in right after, and you kind of are thankful for it. Yeah, he brings in the uh, the manager from Fight Club to, to be one of the like police chiefs or whatever, or d- department of justice guy. That's right. Yeah. That's that, right. Is, is, uh, is Fincher one of us? Um, uh, I probably not, but I don't, I don't, think, so. I don't <laughs> think so. I think he's yeah. like, he's, I think the thing Wishful is, is thinking. like, he's probably like, he's probably like a 2002 libtard, which is not liberal anymore. T- kind of. Right. Like, I don't know. Gone girl is pretty anti-woman. I'm not going to argue that he's... Um, well, it was written by a woman, the book, so, I mean, you know, hey. I wouldn't argue that he's based, but, like, I think he has a very particular view of art that is, like, pretty nihilistic and, like, anti-the-moment at the same time. Like, sure. one thing I was thinking about with this movie is, like, he's pretty careful to communicate that there's like no moral or justice dimension to Graysmith's obsession. Like even when his wife says like, what are you going to do? You're going to like arrest this guy. And he's like, be serious. I just want to know who it is. Like as if he's totally disconnected his own mission of discovery from like stopping this killer. Like that's not what it's about for him. And I think that's in there again with, with Graysmith as the, you know, the metaphorical Fincher, like I think Fincher's perspective on art is that like you create, you create art because you're obsessive and in some sense, because you're perverted, but like, there's not a moral dimension to that. And so like, I think if people, if people are, um, and so I, I guess what I mean to say is like, I'm not even sure that's something I would totally agree with, but I do think that's like, you have to be, uh, a pretty free thinker in the time he's been alive to like allow yourself to get there as an artist oh, sure. to be like, you know, there's no like moral text here. So I, I at least respect him as like an uninhibited yeah. uh, artistic voice. We'll see what this new movie, the killer, cause it is about a guy like reflecting on like, am I, am I like, is this me? Is this what I should be doing? Like, cause I was talking on a, episode of my show about we're like where it's like man you ever like 
you don't see enough people who are like ex-war veterans in movies that are like actually i've kind of missed that shit and i loved it and it was great and every minute of like killing over there was great it's always like this oh i hate myself ptsd which of course is a real thing but i was kind of when i saw that fincher's new movie which i will go see and i'm I'm excited about doing so but i'm kind of like i i hope that he's not I don't think it's going to be some woke movie. I just, I don't want it to be this, like, actually men have so many layers and they're always guilty about everything. You know, I don't want that out of him. I want like, like what degree was saying, like (laughs) I want that detachment and I want that. I am making art because I have to, something will come out of me. Eventually I'd rather it be a great film. You know, you want the character to decide you want him to say, actually, you know what? I am a killer. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's the conclusion. Maybe that's the conclusion he comes to. Right. I just, I, yeah. the premise, what, way it's being sold to me, albeit by people I don't want to buy anything from, uh, it's being sold to me as kind of like the killer's reflecting on should he be a killer yeah. after a close call. Did you ever see <laughs> a, you were never really there? Yeah. No, with I have Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, I, like you could summarize that maybe in the same way, but it's, you know, you know okay. what I mean? But like it sounds cliche when you read the premise, but it's a little different. It's a bit of a taxi driver thing, but it's it's pretty cool. Oh, I was gonna say, like on the topic of like men, like you know, dealing with their their feelings or something. Zodiac's a good example of that. I mean, you know, like men would rather obsessively hunt the zo- like hunt down uh, Arthur Lee Allen than go to therapy. Like that's like being obsessed about something is awesome. <laughs> um, do we yeah, like the, any of the wives or hate any of the wives? No, they're all cool. No, I, I think I mean, I, Chloe uh, Sevigny, is that how you say your last name? Um, she's pretty good. I mean, like as like a real wife, she is actually pretty patient and understanding. Like he oh. gets pretty bad before yeah. she walks out. He's, and like, she's not even having yeah. the kids review files and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I was I was gonna say this this performance really stands out to me as like exemplary for how I would like a woman to be disappointed in me. Like really straightforward, quiet voice, just like you won't stop doing this, so we're gonna go. It's like so unhysterical. Inside of me, there are two wolves. I mean, one of me, one one wolf wants to live on Robert Downey Jr.'s boathouse, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the boathouse is like presented as like his is a symbol of his decline. But that boathouse cool. is like aspirational now. I know. I, I, I swear to God, I, I hope he never sees how I live. That he'd be like, "Oh man, now I'm really in the shit." Yeah. Uh, but on on uh, Chloe Sevigny, she um, I, I screen capped like four or five times where you know most of the most of the work she's doing is just these these looks that she's giving him. Like sure. just anyone who's like you know had a girlfriend knows these looks too. She's half of the half the time she's on screen, she's standing in a doorway staring at him. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, or the would just go when the TV's on and he's wa- clearly watching TV instead of having dinner. She's like, just go watch it. Just fucking go watch the TV. Like, well, what, you know, what's I, interesting I, about yeah. that is she initially took interest in him because he was like so devoted to the case. Is oh, at least how they portray cases. it, right? Many, yeah. Cases. And yes. then, but then, like she she comes down to reality and he stays the same, and so she's upset with it. Many yeah. such cases. Many such cases. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Take note of this that like. In that era, you could you could show up to a date, and your hands could be covered in like newspaper ink, and you could just be like totally like schizo about this thing you can't stop thinking about. And she still goes home with him and still marries him. And like, um, you know, it's just different times. Well, yeah, this is this is making me think now of maybe the only good piece of advice I've ever given anyone 
uh, related to women, I was saying like, you already have to be depressed about something that's not a woman when you meet a woman. Sure. So that, so that you can't be depressed about her. And then like, even though being depressed isn't appealing, as long as she's not the object of your depression, it might even be interesting to her. And that's sort of like, maybe I'll start calling it the Graysmith system. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny too. I mean, he went on to, when his book came out, I mean, it, admittedly it took a long time. I mean, it was not till like 86, I think. So, so, so if she had stuck with him, she would have had to stay for, like, I don't know, 15 years or something. But uh, when his book came out, he sold like 3 million copies. He, he instantly became very wealthy, but uh, I guess that probably doesn't make up for like 15 years of having an absentee husband. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. An appearance on Charlie Rose or whatever you're going to get back then doesn't, doesn't usually uh, make up for the uh, years of absence. Yeah. One of his, uh, you know, I don't know if you noticed the like card at the end where it's like, and he has a good relationship with his sons. Um, and one of his sons is like a special effects guy. Didn't work on this movie, but, um, he's worked on a bunch of stuff you'd recognize. Nice. That's cool. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Would zoomers like this movie? I don't think so. No, no, no. (laughs) They need, they need things happening. They don't like open-ended anything. They don't like their brains to have to do any, to have to think about things or feel things. They would not get any of the male like obsessive qualities of it because i'm not i'm painting with a broad brush here but like a lot of the younger generation that i see is they don't really have to try that hard at a lot of stuff they just find the one thing that's easy and do it and and that's you know again my millennials do the same thing too so i can't say it's uh i can't say it's just them i think they've they're they're in a in a world now where they'd be like why why would you spend why would you obsess over that they would just watch that and go, why would you obsess over that? And you didn't catch the guy. Why yeah, did some, I someone would be like, oh, why do you even care about the Zodiac Killer? Exactly. No, they would, <laughs> I mean, they would, you're, I, would, I, would, I mostly agree with you. Nah. I mostly agree with you, Glenn, but Skibbity Toilet is pretty ambiguous. Is, <laughs> oh, yes. How could I forget? How could I forget? That's my, I my blind I, spot. A Zoomer would like Zoomer? this, but uh, under 26. Okay. Yeah. Okay. After We're us, George. Fifteen yeah. to twenty-six. <laughs> yeah. But, My brother's uh, twenty-two. Think... Go, go ahead, please. Sorry. Oh, I think that a lot of them would would probably like this around thirty or thirty-five. Once oh, they've sure. like, once they've had some like weird obsessions that aren't, you know, just like eating hot chip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> once they've Are found the that Zoomers have... Gen X again. Oh yeah, that's a good. That that could possibly be the case. Yeah. I think like, you're right. Are millennials boomer part two? Mm, yeah, I think because we're really kind of dumb. <laughs> no, big... like truly, like we're kind of like because like boomers have that like lovable dumbness to them, but it's like a utility yeah. that they have. Like it's it's good for them. It's like it's net benefit <laughs> for them, and and you know they also have like a righteous fury. You know, like to quote Tarantino. Yeah. You know, I mean, like they have right. like a, they get mad about everything. No, yeah. and, and Gen Z and like Gen Z has that like jaded like nothing matters except for like the dumbest libtard thing ever like Gen X. Yeah, people like do. when I talk to my so, brother who's twenty two, him and all his buddies, they're really fun kids. Like you know, yeah, so I have yeah. sort of a positive view of Gen Z because they have like this like detachment that's kind of fun in almost a Gen X mm-hmm. way, right? Yeah, and in that way, like sure. they they things appeal to them that are kind of strange that I don't understand. You know, like they will, they're, they're all super into ancient Rome, 
which I know is like a current meme, but like it's kind of right. true. You know, I guess they could be memed into zodiacs. I mean, because like yeah, you know, exactly. I, if you go on TikTok, like there are there are like these videos. It's like spooky music. Did you know in 1989 someone died? Like they can they can be memed into this stuff, I guess. But yeah, this yeah. particular movie, going in blind. I don't know. I don't even, so like, you know, I wondered about this with uh, once upon a time in Hollywood where a lot of that movie, the the way it's received kind of depends on you knowing what happened in the real story of, of Manson and, and Sharon Tate and stuff. And I, I don't know. I don't know. If, I mean, they, they wouldn't know that in the, in the case of once right. upon a time in Hollywood. So the film might not work for them. I, I don't know if they, I don't think they'd like this movie, but they, they could be made to like it. Yeah, and I I think that first off, it's like again, it's to bring it back up again. It's it's kind of this movie Zodiac. Like, if you don't have a love of like scenery and like imagery and and just how amazing San Francisco looks in it, and how uh, and all the other parts of California as well. Uh, Bullet is the same way. Like, if you showed Bullet to like a Zoomer, they're not gonna like it. But Bullet is cool because it's Steve McQueen being cooler than anybody that ever came after him. And then it's just San Francisco looks cool, and then he drives. That's the movie. And Bullet's based on Tosca exactly from, from uh, nice the real life. and Dirty yeah. Harry. Apparently, Dirty Harry too, which I don't see, but uh, uh, that's what they say. Yeah, uh, he's like Dirty Harry is like inspired by. Uh, that's one thing I think they lacked in this movie is that from what I read about Toski, which is very little, it seems like he was a little bit more like a Hollywood Jack Vincennes type character than they let on in this. Oh, film. good, good call there. Yeah. LA confidential. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You know what I mean? Like he didn't write the Zodiac letter, but he did write fake letters to newspapers talking about how great he was. And if you look up the picture <laughs> of the real guy, he looks kind of like an Orville Redenbacher like sidekick. Yeah, it was cool when he was right. on set that behind the scenes footage where he was with Ruffalo yeah. bringing him animal crackers. It was a very Reddit moment, but it was wholesome at totally. the same time. Yeah, I yeah. liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to make sure I mention. Uh, I mean, what's like that? The George Lucas named Toshi Station in Star Wars after Dave Toski. So obviously, oh, really? he's a guy. Who was, he's a Bay Area yeah, guy. Right. Yeah, no, no, George Lucas is a big time Bay Area guy. Yeah. Some power converter. So obviously, this this was a person that was around in Hollywood and just hanging out and being around, almost like um, uh oh god damn it, what's his name? The Secretary of Defense for Nixon. You know what I'm talking about? Where he was Matt just Cameron? everybody's buddy. Yeah, no, no, no. Henry uh, Kissinger. Kissinger oh, okay. was just like he was like a Hollywood dude. He was at the premiere of The Godfather. He was at the Oscars. Like for some reason sure. in Hollywood, he was just cool, right? Kind of like that. Mm. Um, yeah. If they recast this today and like made a new Zodiac, I bet they would. Um, they they do Timothy Timothy Chalamet instead of Jake sure. Gyllenhaal, and then Absolutely. instead of Chloe Sevigny, they'd probably do uh, Zazy Beats. It would be it would be it would be Timothy Chalamet, uh, Ansel Egort, or whatever that guy's name. Oh, is. I'm a big yeah, Elgort. No, fan. I'm not even saying it would be bad. I'm just saying like I just that it would be it would be those two guys, um, and then you'd have like the Mark Ruffalo guy. Would I don't even know. He would be the guy from Whiplash. What's that guy? Zodiac marginalized communities. I have to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then JK sociology majors and JK Simmons would be the Brian Cox character. It would, yeah. Or just do Brian Cox again. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Fraser, are you pumped for season two of Tokyo vice? Oh, when does it start? No, I don't know. I just mean, are they doing season two? Are they? 
Yeah, I liked that. I don't, show. I don't know. I, I don't know if they announced it, but yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I liked Ansel Elgort. He he plays he plays an earnest reporter. Mm-hmm. You know? well, earnest at the beginning, then he comes jaded. But yeah. Um, oh yeah. So I got to talk about uh, Donal Logue, Fat Donal Logue. Nice. I loved when Amazing. he came on screen. I was just like, grounded nice. for oh, life. Grounded for life. He's great. Yeah, terriers. He he plays this guy Ken Narlow who. When Fincher like talked to Ken about who should portray him, Ken Narlow, who looks like Fat Donald Logue, uh, requested George Clooney. Nice. Yeah. Oh, is is yeah. there a Respect word for that. guys whose whose names sound like one long name? Donald Logue. Yeah. It's a, you know what I mean. It's a, Is there a word don't, for that? Yeah, I don't know. It's got it's got to be an Irish name, right? I don't know. But you don't Definitely know where Irish. one the first name ends and the last name begins. Right. You know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's almost like it's like because it, we always talk about the people who have two last names as their name, you know, or whatever. Because I like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of a study. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell what his name was for a long time when people would Donna say Donna Logue. Yeah. I actually thought it was Dona, Dona Logue, but yeah, Dona uh, Logie. Yeah, yes. uh, it's always just a pleasure to see him. I think he's great. Um, and the uh, great and Ghost Rider, two thousand and seven. Let's go. <laughs> and Blade. Uh, regarding and names. By the way, we talked about we talked about 2007 earlier, but I didn't want to, you know, take everything off the rails. But if you didn't see 300, I was like in seventh grade in 2007. Oh, yeah. If you didn't see 300, you were a complete loser, which <laughs> I can't think of like a movie nowadays where you would be a complete loser if you didn't see it. Right. See, this, this is why I'm a 2006 apologist, because that was actually 2006. Right. Was it really? Yeah. No. According to Google. Bullshit. March of 2007. I thought it was <laughs> after that. I, I thought that was like 2009. I, I'm I like, begged my, my. and pleaded with my mother, please, please let me see 300 so I won't be a loser. <laughs> oh, why is this? Uh, like we're talking about names. You know, serial killers always have three names. They should have only hired actors with three names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. kind of counts. They should have yeah. just had Philip Baker Hall as the Zodiac. Was Philip Seymour Hoffman was still alive, right? Yeah, could have been. He could have oh, been yeah. there. Yeah, true. He would have been good in this movie. I mean, he would he would have fit right in. I think there's a couple. Yeah, there's a couple roles he could have done. Sure. Sure. I'm trying to think of now. Uh, um, who's, who's another three name actor? This is like Jonathan Rhys Myers. Uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas. There you go. Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key. Yeah. Keegan Michael Key as Robert Gray Smith. Yeah. I have a pretty good. Todd Nahisi Coates. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. I, have a, I have a good middle name. <laughs> so if I ever uh, publish something, I'll use all three. Oh, nice. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah. There oh. You go. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't object. I'll tell you that much. Um, Fred Franklin Durst. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't actually know what his middle name is. Franklin. Nah, 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 I think you got it. Yeah. <laughs> I just like. I like him. Like the studio deciding whether he if Fred uh, Durst is marketable. Should, should we call him Frank Durst? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you know what's funny? His full name is actually William Frederick Durst. Wow. Born Frederick Allen, Maine. So he is a three-name guy. Uh, he's like a, 
like a high class wasp. Actually. I know. <laughs> told me that He's not actually a Durst. No, it says born Frederick Allen Maine the third. He, oh, he might really be like a founding stock guy. Quaker. If you had told me he was president in eighteen ten, I would have believed you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Doesn't Kid Rock have like a you know, double barreled last name and he's like Rich or something? Richie, he's Richie like, something. What is his name? Richie yeah robert james Ritchie. oh yeah yeah but that's a classic like uh that seems like scotch irish stuff to me like scale whites yeah yeah Mm -hmm. michael clark duncan there's a three-name guy Mm. that could have been zodiac (laughs) 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 just make Um, him the killer and you and you solve it zoomers will like it if you've made it this far leave a comment of your favorite uh three-name actor yeah, <laughs> I know. We we're leaving. I know there's so many that we just like completely missed. But yeah, what happened to um, the one name directors though? Like Mick G, remember him? Right? Yeah, the one name director. Uh, I wanted name? to ask about uh, favorite scenes. And real quick, I'll go first. We already talked about the basement one, and then something I find interesting about this. And we we talked a bit about the like you know how violent is this. I, the the scariest stuff. I mean, I think the Lake Berryessa is very terrifying, but the scariest stuff in the movie to me is is not violent at all. It's the it's the basement and then that car ride for that lady when, the, when the she yeah, gets picked that was, up. That's yeah. terrifying. Hundred percent. Very well managed tension in that in that scene. Sure. What about? Uh, I would say, I love I love when uh, uh, Gray Smith orders like the gay blue drink and they get hammered together. Uh, that's fun. I, it's just classic. Like, you know, it's just putting yeah. in those classic, like hard boiled, like buddy cop things. Where it's like, I'll drink the dumb drink with you. Fuck it. And they all get hammered on it. And, um, that's fun. Uh, I like a lot of the restaurant stuff. I love, I love like old restaurant scenes. Oh, totally. I had so much like envy, like talking in diners. Yeah. No, you know, I don't, I don't get to do that. Like, I don't get to talk to like guys about, you know, these cases and diners. That would be awesome. Yeah. Just like, like, I, I remember <laughs> yeah, even like watching like Michael Douglas, uh, the, what's that movie? The, the like black rain movie where like a, there's a big massacre in a diner. I'm like, I'd still like to be there, you know, like uh, just, just black rain is cool. Black rain is a great movie. Yeah. Granted. I think I, I mentioned it earlier, but I think my favorite, I think there's two of them in particular, but my favorite scenes are when Gray Smith is convincing Toski that he's on to something worth paying attention to. Sure. Like all all the scenes where Toski's sort of fighting him off and Gray Smith's like listing these new details and most of them Toski knows, but then he'll get to something yeah. where he's like, All right, and then he relents and they're back on back on board together. I, lo- I love that thing too, where he's like I mean it's like cliche, but he's like, I can't tell you anything don't go see ken narlo in you know (laughs) right yeah i really like scenes where like um like you could point to something like caddyshack where the main character danny just rides his bike around through like his neighborhood and into the golf course like but i always like that kind of stuff the establishment Mm -hmm. of like the setting so that scene where the letter comes through like we have a montage of it coming through the cart for the letters and we see everything that's happening in the paper and you get the idea of like where you're going to be for the next three hours. I really like that. Yeah. That's great. Um, Frazier, did you notice that like no one eats any of their food in this movie? Um, I didn't, but yeah, they did a lot of restaurant scenes and I guess, did they not eat? 
Well, there's one, there's one particularly egregious one. Me, me and cool Fraser bring this up all the time where it's food and movies, but, uh, uh, Anthony Edwards and Mark Ruffalo are, are talking. Edwards has his full lunch in front of him. Oh Ruffalo yeah. 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 Come, comes in, steals half of his sandwich. And then he's like, decides that he needs to leave. He hadn't touched anything on that plate. Yeah. Bastard. Yeah. And he's like, can I, I, he's like, he's done with the fries. Yeah. It was always his like, can I, you done with the fries? And he's like, you just, here's my entire order. If you'd like. <laughs> yeah. Granite. As a filmmaker, you slave away on things like this. And then lesser souls come to you after you've you've given your mind and body over to a film for a year. And they say, hey, did you notice that there's a continuity problem? And you say, thanks very much. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Right? I, I mean, I, I don't mean to. Maybe, right? maybe if the budget was $87 million instead of 85 Exactly. Yeah. Well, and they, yeah. and they couldn't eat the food. They can't eat the food because he's doing 50 takes. So, like. Yeah. Yes. Do you, you hear that Helena Bonham Carter quote about Fincher? That's pretty funny. She's like, if you're doing a Fincher thing, don't start acting till the twelfth take. Like <laughs> that's like, that's awesome. Though. That's like what? Yeah, so I like Kubrick. that. I, she, yeah, she just yeah. got. Yeah, she she under, she she wasn't going to Shelley Duvall herself. She was like, no, I'm gonna I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, like well, I, yeah, acting. Jalen Hall, who I think does great. He like has a he he performs very well, but he apparently had like the hardest time with Fincher because he was this up and coming star. Mm-hmm. He was getting a lot of attention from, you know, other people pitching him on other movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fincher was getting very upset with him. He's like, you need to focus. You know, this is, we're making something serious here. This isn't like some, just something to explode, to help you build your career. This is a, a movie. And um, so they had quite a few fights about this sort of stuff. And yeah, Hall came away from it saying like, uh, he's like, you know, Fincher sees actors. He, he likes to paint with actors and it's, it's hard to be a color. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he but you know what? I hear so you. many interviews with actors to where when they say like, you know, who my best directors were the guy who treated me like an absolute slave. Because yeah. they kind of because you the are they want you are. to be pushed yeah. around. They do like, but the tough part is figuring out whether or not the guy you're directing gets it on the first take and then they get yeah. bored and lose it, or if they gain it as you go, right? Yeah, because yeah, because and and then also you have to like the thing is, is you might know like this movie's not going to make as a lot of money because we're going way over budget. We're going, that was why Clint Eastwood always like Clint Eastwood always got a chance. I mean, he started producing his own films, but for a long time, studios were excited because he would always come in on time and under budget because he would do like one take for every scene. He's there's like, you would spend three weeks on set maybe for a Clint Eastwood movie. And whereas, you know, Fincher is going to run up. I mean, you, if you ever hear about the saga of Fight Club, like what a nightmare that was, like not so much making it, but just the the budget and then all the executives seeing what he actually did with it. Um, nobody really wanted to adapt the novel except for Fincher. Uh, and because it's it, it, if you read the story without knowing what a cult classic the movie right. is. I mean, the reason it's a cult classic is because it didn't really do that well uh, at, at the beginning. So, you know, Fincher, I, I wouldn't say Fincher is like the biggest money maker ever. Right. I mean, I don't even think this movie made a lot of money. Yeah. I don't think it did particularly well. Um, I thought I had it in my notes, but I don't remember. I don't, I don't think it really, I don't I think it probably flopped. I mean, social network and gone girl are the only two big hits he's ever had. Right. Yeah. Those were smashed. Well, wasn't seven sort of like a sleeper hit. Yeah, yeah, I think that was that that got helped out by the uh, VHS release. I think right, and time. I'm sure yeah. Fight Club did great on DVD. 
Uh, it did. I believe it made uh, it made all, almost all of its money on that because it was. Just, I heard it just bombed in theater. I mean, I was too young at the time, but it was it, it, to know about the theatrical release of Fight Club. But it, from what I gather, it, he was just running up like doing these all night shoots where like streets were shut down and stuff. And and for a while, I, I the reason I even said that was just because as an actor, it's like I know this is a talented director, but is this going to even help my career that's that's where you become not part of the team not part of it where the director fincher said on the behind the scenes commentary i think it was was that uh it's basically like directing is like painting but you're 200 yards away from the canvas and you have like 80 people holding brushes and you have to be like not not that and you feel like you're not really in control because anytime you do exhibit control you probably end up spending more money and ruining your relationships with people. Yeah. I just looked it up. Um, cost 65 made 84, which is not good. No, no, it sure isn't. And I, I remember it being a huge movie too. That's the thing. Like when it came out, I remember lots of people talking about it probably because oh, sorry, the, that's, uh, I'm talking about uh, Zodiac, but let me look up. Uh, no, I thought I, I agree. I, I'm talking about Zodiac too. Probably. Like I, I just, I just maybe because of the story, maybe because of just Zodiac killer, like maybe the that's length, why it too. was. Yeah. Right. True true yeah why why do you think this movie doesn't get like memed as much in popular culture like it kind of did disappear i feel it's like long. i think i think george Too said long. it's long yeah it's long and 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 it's arduous at times i mean not i'm speaking from just like somebody who doesn't enjoy this genre or something or maybe wouldn't have any any interest in a serial killer that came that was 60 years before they were born or whatever you know 50 years before they were born who doesn't really, you know, care about that aspect of it and hasn't gone through a lot of things in life. If you're a 22 year old moviegoer, even in 20, 2007, you have to kind of buy into it a little bit uh, um, to to enjoy it. Whereas for me at 33, I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is just yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. It's very talky. I mean, it's um, yeah, it's most of the movies, just conversations. There's sure very few like ac- there's like no action scenes, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, this that ties into actually something else I was thinking about. Jake Gyllenhaal is like um, Gosling is this you know he's like the the king of the literally me, or he's just like me. But uh, I think Gyllenhaal has a similarly diverse range of characters he's played. You know, you get like Night Nightcrawler. You got you got Donnie Donnie Darko. Yeah, Donnie Darko. Like he's got a bunch of guys that you could meme and say like, "Oh, he's literally me." And you and you'd see them sometimes, but not as many. I mean, a part of it I wonder if it's like broke back, like uh they don't people don't want that one to come out of the like Oh, that was the one where I said he's literally me. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh so I don't I don't know if it I mean, he he's done it. It's kind of amazing he's had the career he had um after Nightcrawler really is one of the uh, like greater films of the past. Love that movie. Though, Absolutely opinion. love yeah. that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one, you see like some yeah. of the, the gif reactions or whatever for that one, you know, with, with him, like, you know, looking at people and stuff, but or in the otherwise, mirror, broken mirror. yeah. Yeah. Other, otherwise I'm not sure how many people have, have seen Nightcrawler. No, no, he's in a lot of, I mean, like, and then you, I, I remember just before, wasn't he like in day after tomorrow? Like he did a few kind yeah. of like big budget kind of, kind of big, big Prince movies like that. 
Prince of Persia. There you go. Yeah, there's he he did a lot of those, but I've always I've always liked him a lot. The one thing I will say is he doesn't look like he's in the era like everyone else does in this movie. No. Like I feel like there's a couple scenes where I'm like, dude, this you look like it's 2004, dude. Like when you're when you're in this, <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like I, there's a couple scenes where like towards the beginning, but as it as the movie progresses, he looks like more and more like Jake Gyllenhaal, kind of checked not checked out. I don't. That's not fair to say, but his. uh costume and appearance and hairstyle they they don't look the way that like mark ruffalo has the sideburns and the shaggier hair and 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 it's he kind of doesn't look like he's a part of the same era as everybody else in the movie i don't know this is ruffalo's best performance in my opinion yeah yeah i agree oh sometimes when you look at old pictures it's like um some guys in the picture were in the 70s but some of them like Hall's fashion and stuff, and this might have been intentional. It seems more like fifties. He's more of a square, like big time, yeah. So I don't know if that was the idea, that, and maybe Graysmith was really like that. I, I don't sure. know. Yeah. I love that line too. Do you smoke one time in high school? Right, you know, just that, yeah. that's yeah. good. <laughs> but I mean, well, do you think maybe Gyllenhaal's got, yeah. got a movie, a Roadhouse remake coming out this year, apparently or next year? No way. Really? Um, will that cement him as a literally me if they do it right? It I could. Should, it should be. It should. I, that's crazy. I didn't yeah. know they were doing that. I forgot about prisoners yeah. as well. That's a very good. Literally, me. Very, like what's, a, yeah. Very good. What's the one? Yeah. What's the Dennis via Denis Villeneuve movie where they turn into a spider at the Enemy. end? Enemy. Oh, yeah, that Enemy. one. Yeah, that's yeah. another. That's another memeable movie. I thought uh, a little bit. Right. Like, kind of. That was a fun one. I, I didn't. I can't say I loved that movie, but like that. That was. I kind of like when he. I kind of like that vibe for him, though. And whenever I want to see him in movies, if he, he plays does his that. cards, yeah. What's that? If, if he plays his cards right, Roadhouse remake could be a literally me coup for him. It's. I think it's just going to bring Swayze back, dude. Donnie Darko connection, right? Donnie Darko, Swayze, and Gyllenhaal. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm just gonna say I, I'm starting the Elias Cotius literally me me <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna start doing i sort toward the end of these shows i just start you know re- reading through my notes no context or whatever so if you guys have stuff you want to just throw out there just just start throwing it out there i guess um, um this out. i forgot that last cortez was uh casey jones and ninja turtles yeah oh he was wasn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that's something literally me my hockey mask um, that opening scene where they stroll, the camera is moving through the neighborhood. Fincher is, you know, <laughs> yeah. so so obsessed that he couldn't just put it on a car. He didn't like the bumps or whatever, or the inconsistency of the road. So they built a track, which maybe George, you can say a bit about this, but it's like apparently it was like a four hundred and fifty foot track, and you normally don't build that much track. It's no. considered excessive. So I get what he was saying with that, but it surprises me that they couldn't make it happen to where like they had to have the shell of the car and they put the camera in there and put the car and the camera on a dolly. That's kind of crazy. And once you know that and watch it, it's like too flat. It's kind of weird. Yeah. It's like, is it worth it? But I mean, if you're a Kubrickian style flat, you know, I mean, mean, if that's what you want, I mean, then you'll do it. And it actually might get you some appreciation from the crew because you have, if you establish early on, assuming that the film was filmed somewhat uh, linearly, they might realize you're insane and they'll just do what you want. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but he, they flew in these big, huge oak trees to Lake Berryessa because they're like, yeah. they get there to film and they're like, 
in the pictures of the crime scene, there's huge oak trees, but there's no oak trees here. So they cut some down and had a huge helicopter fly them in. That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Fincher movie. I mean, that would be the kind of thing that would be in. Yeah. yeah, That would be in time magazine. If you were making like Ben Hur, right? Yeah. I I think it's in the making. Yeah. I have to wonder, like, you watch Halloween, John Carpenter's original Halloween. I mean, they filmed it in Los Angeles, and you can see palm trees in the background. They had two garbage bags full of leaves that they threw on the ground to make it look like it was a Midwestern town in the fall. Mm-hmm. You're kind of fooled, aren't you? Oh, well, yeah. I didn't even remember. I don't even yeah, remember that's the enough. palm trees. Yeah, I don't even remember Yeah, exactly. Trees. So, I mean, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, the guy who wrote the movie... James or Jamie Vanderbilt. He's he is a Vanderbilt. Real Vanderbilt. Yep. Yeah, he's like Anderson Cooper's cousin or something. Yep. Oh, real and stock. So, so, yeah, the the that 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 family has infiltrated uh, media in a, a way that I don't necessarily love, but it's a good script. And and George, he wrote he also wrote Ambulance, the crazy Jake Gyllenhaal Ambulance movie. That's a good which movie. I loved. I loved that to mm-hmm. death. Yeah, because it was. It, I love that movie. It's it's so insane. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Kind of like the Arthur Guinness, Arthur Guinness of the Guinness beer family, um, is uh, works with Wes Anderson. I think. Twice. Oh, really? Crazy. Yeah. Here's the. This is just a funny one, but the uh, the actress who gets stabbed at the at the lake, she is married to like the CEO of Lionsgate, um, and so she hasn't really. Oh, and his and his previous wife was Lori Laughlin. That oh. used to be the former path. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah marrying the, the executive, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who's the girl from Suspiria? Uh, the the uh, you know what I'm talking about the Derry Argento film. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she married Tom Rothman, the head of Fox. That used to wow. be totally cool and normal. Yeah, um, Harvey ruined it for everyone, I guess. Yeah, not to yeah. Go ahead. Um, I was talking. Here's the quote from Fincher about in response to like Jake's kind of complaining and whining. He's like, I think Jake's philosophy was informed by, look, he's made a lot of movies, even as a child, but I don't think he's ever been asked to concentrate on minutia. And I think he was very distracted. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, probably true. Yeah. Uh, RDJ on Fincher. Uh, I just decided, aside from several times, I wanted to Garrett him that I was going to give him what he wanted. I think I'm a perfect person to work for him because I understand gulags. (laughs) pretty good i love this kind of thing where the the actor has such a relationship with the director to where they're almost like the father i, I love yeah. that so much or or like the gatekeeper to the prison i love that yep um uh george i know you watched that like goofy 1971 zodiac killer movie um yeah. I read on the Wikipedia, I don't know if this is true, but they claimed that the movie was partially made as a way to trick the Zodiac Killer to attend the movie, fill out a survey so they could analyze handwriting. Yeah, cool. Okay. I don't believe that necessarily. I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, there were lots, of, it came out the same year as Dirty Harry, right? The Zodiac yeah. exploitation film. Sure. Um, there are a few other films you could watch that, sort of like ape off this idea of the serial killer or the, or the Zodiac at the time. Uh, the one I would recommend, I mean, you have Peter Bogdanovich's targets, which is kind of similar, but it's based on the, uh, or the bell tower. Um, 
college. What was that? Texas, University of Texas. Texas yeah, Texas built tower shooting. But then you have a film called The Mad Bomber with Chuck Connors, which I would recommend, which is kind of fun, uh, where Chuck Connors is like a mad bomber, like terrorist serial killer. And the appeal of the film is that there's also subsequently a uh, serial rapist who happens to witness <laughs> the identity of the bomber. So the police are out for the rapist to find uh, out who the bomber is. And it, it's uh, it's fairly entertaining. 1971, um, The Mad Bomber with Chuck Connors, the rifleman. Glenn, you had this quote in the chat when we were preparing, and I, wanted, I wrote it down because I wanted to make sure we included it, but... Uh, you said 70s serial killer movies are either Art Garfunkel raping somebody or extremely well done. That is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, he, I, Art Garfunkel did have a, a a run of just like playing like weird rapists in movies. I mean, it's it's a it's a untalked about. I yeah. If you look up Art Garfunkel IMDb, uh, he has like he's like a weird like like creep in like a lot of movies. They so, call that uh, rape casting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and it's what would you know, that be? Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, he's, I don't know. I mean, you look at him, it's like you, it kind of makes sense, but then also, like, no, it's that those are those silly little dorky guys from upstate New York or whatever. Like the, yeah, but no, he's in a lot. I think it was a bad a movie called Bad Time or Carnal Knowledge, I believe, is the is the one of the movies. Yeah, he's he's just like a freak in that one. Let's um, go. Yeah, okay. and. Uh, I think okay. that that's the one I have right. I, I just remember seeing it like one time. Like I think it was just like a random. Yeah, he's he's in a lot of uh, he's in a lot of the bad. Uh, and this is 1980, but bad timing, essential okay. obsession with art. art okay. <laughs> yeah. So title alone, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. As a kid, I had the CD of Bridge Over Troubled Water, and I loved sure. Simon and Garfunkel. Love that. Sure, I, I'm a big, I'm a more of a Paul Simon guy but myself. Like uh, the, the, just him. But yeah, I mean Simon Garf. How can you? I mean, I watched The Graduate not long ago, and you're just like, what? Like this is so sick. Like yeah, so Simon, sick. yeah. I, I, I figured Simon was the the, the talent or the brain. Um, well, not in terms of yeah, raping absolutely. in movies. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paul, Paul Paul wasn't doing that in Annie Hall. So yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> cut um, his hair. That's where all the power lies. If yes. you do anything 10,000 times, you become an expert. <laughs> 10,000 hour rule. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, some, some alternative casting. Uh, Frank Black of the Pixies was considered for Arthur Lee Allen. Lord. Um, and then I guess for Avery, they looked at uh, Benicio Del Toro, Aaron Eckert, Daniel Craig, and Kevin Spacey. For who? Spa- Spacey for, take out of the for whole Paul movie. Avery. Sp- Spacey would take oh. you out of the whole movie, I think. Yeah, yeah Spacey would be funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think RDJ was was perfect for it. Yeah, hey, no, Spacey is exonerated it, now, right? He's cool now. Again. Yeah, he's he's trying to do podcast appearances. I've been reaching out furiously. In the court of degree studies, he's been exonerated. I'll tell you <laughs> that much. He's sure. living yeah, his life like as a Kevin gay Spacey. man. <laughs> That's fine. I have always loved Kevin Spacey, so I'm happy to come out of the closet as a K- uh, Spacey admirer. Um, well, he's he's a tremendous okay. actor. I mean, there's no uh, absolutely. No um, Sean Penn, like eight years of spacey acting. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Sean Penn was considered for Toski. Uh, Christian yeah. Bale wanted to play Graysmith, but uh, no, no, absolutely not. Yeah. Love, love, love Christian Bale, but no. 
No. And then... Uh, I, I think even Gyllenhaal might have been... I mean, like... I can tell you, I, I don't find the character of Graysmith to be all that um, compelling. No. He didn't in even write himself the film, in the book. He didn't even write himself right. in the book to be that big of a part. I think they thought that I'm a cartoonist who became a murder solver would be a big hook. But yeah. um, I got to tell you, like when we focus on Toski and uh, his partner for about 30 minutes in the middle of the movie, that's the best stuff. When we go mm. back to Gyllenhaal, I don't know. And I, and I also find the basement scene to be a bit of a red herring. So I don't uh, have as much admiration for that scene as a lot of people do, I think. Uh, well, a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people had issues with it. And he, he mentions on the uh, the commentary track, he's like, the test audiences were, were kind of annoyed that that late in the movie, you'd um, have this scene that didn't doesn't really tell you anything important. No. It's just a yeah. dead end. That, that's what well, keeps I it like it as like a, me. I like it as a scene that, I, I don't know if Fincher would agree with this, but for me, that scene really works as like showing the limits of sort of not being a cop where like Graysmith is studying all this on paper and he's not anticipating like the details of reality not having been recorded correctly. So he's like totally flummoxed and thrown for a loop when this guy just said, oh, he didn't design the poster or whatever I did. Yeah. So I, I like that as like a reminder that Graysmith sort of doesn't know what he's doing or he sort of is is being a little naive about like how events have been rendered to him and then like reality erupts and the real stakes of what he's doing like confront him. So I, I like that scene. Yeah, I, I like I like all the, the Graysmith stuff overall. I can see him yeah, not I can see him not being compelling to many viewers. Um, but it works for me and I think Gyllenhaal's good at uh He's surprisingly good at uh, being very, very handsome, but also believable as like this naive boy. Yeah, he's got that nerd, that kind of like Clark Kent kind of thing going on. I mean, it's a, it's like a continuation of like October Sky. You know, this earnest boy, try hard boy. Mm-hmm. Great film. Yeah, I like I like October Sky. Surprisingly anti union messaging for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm kind of out of stuff. The main, my, my, my last thing is just, uh, you know, those, those knives in my trunk guys, I was just, uh, I was just slaughtering chickens. Absolutely. As you do. That's your I constitutional right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Foster farms does it. Why can't I, <laughs> uh, if you guys have anything, feel free to drop it. But, uh, no, no, it was great. It was uh, great. Great talking with you guys. All right. Any last words? No, thank you. Granite. Oh, thank you guys. Uh, cool phrase to drop, but you know, go subscribe to uh, to Rare Candy, Glenn's Glenn's project. Um, lots of content. It's all you know. They're putting out stuff multiple times a week. Yeah, I have no life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go subscribe to uh, to George's. Was it George? It's a George Doll Film yeah, Journal. YouTube, or film, yeah, YouTube uh, Film Journal, and uh, I got a, a great new show about Conan the Barbarian coming out here in the next. Yeah, oh, nice. excited for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah George has a really good research and a lot of Robert E. Howard research, so should be pretty good. Yeah, George has great videos. Not like you know the videos I put out; they're just like a picture with audio. George has these full-on video essays with clips of movies and fantastically edited. 
So check that out. Oh, um, and then degree studies, go subscribe to his book club, uh, podcast. To- yeah. Two minute hate book club. We, uh, we put out episodes once a month. <laughs> well, books take a long time to read. Yes, they do. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, yeah, thanks guys for joining. I'll put all the links and stuff below, but uh, until next time, we'll, we'll talk to you later. All right. Fellas. Thanks, guys. Thanks Have a great. good one. Yeah. Thrown like a star in my vice, if I opened my eyes to take a peek, to find that I was by the sea, gazing with tranquility. Just then when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs of love, then when the hurdy gurdy man came singing songs of love, History is of ages past, unenlightened shadows cast. Down through all eternity, the crying of humanity. Tis then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy gurdy man comes singing songs of love.